The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. My guest on this episode is a staff writer covering the sport of boxing at The Athletic, Mr. Rafe Bartholomew. We get into Rafe's background as a native New Yorker and growing up around the famous New York bar McSorley's, his love and fascination with the Philippines and the sport of basketball, his time at Grantland, and uh, his beloved newsletter, Respect Box. Uh, we also get into Wilder Fury 2, uh, King Rai, you know, Ryan Garcia. Uh, and we talk about uh, Caleb Plant uh, versus uh, Vinny Butts as well. So uh, it was a really uh, fun conversation. We did uh, definitely get into some basketball, so I hope you like the sport of basketball. But great conversation. Hope you enjoy it's my great pleasure to have as my guest on this episode, current staff writer at The Athletic, uncredited co-host of the CBS State of Combat Boxing Podcast with the incomparable Brian Campbell, an author of many great books that I hope we have some time to get into. Uh, definitely uh, one of my favorite people, Mr. Rafe Bartholomew. Welcome Thank to you, the Kurt. Boxing Esquire yeah. Podcast, Rafe. It is an honor. I feel uh, pretty unqualified compared to the, <laughs> the, honestly, to me, they are heavy hitters you always have on here. <laughs> Come on, Rafe. You know you're a heavy hitter, man. You know, you know, uh, I will do my best to, to pass as one. <laughs> you are the heaviest of hitters now. You are one of the select few writers on The Athletic, man. You, uh, you, know, you, you, you carry a, a weighty pen at, at, at this let's, point in time. Let's knock on wood for that. Yes. <laughs> Cool, cool. Well, listen, man, I mean, you're you're super, super interesting guy. I don't know that a lot of people know the full backstory on you, so I kind of wanted to, to get into some of that. So uh, were, are you a native of uh, New York City? Yeah, um, born and raised in New York. Uh, it was, uh, oh, I forget the hospital now. It wasn't St. Vincent's. It was, I think, uh, New York Hospital where I was born at. Um, but anyway, my, my father is a you know career bartender at McSorley's uh, in the East Village, and we grew up on, actually on the west side. Um, my mother was a uh, chef when I was very young and then went on to teach um, hospitality management and cooking at, at City Tech on J Street in Brooklyn. And uh, yeah, I, I grew up in the city. I went to uh, Hunter, Co- Hunter College High School from seventh grade on. And uh, I'm, I'm New York, even though I haven't lived full time in New York for several years now, it still feels like home to me. No doubt, no doubt. And uh, for people who don't know, Hunter Hunter College, you got to test into. That's a tough one to get into. So uh, it was the biggest day in my parents' lives. It felt <laughs> like I remember I was in sixth grade because that our the the guidance counselor in my elementary school said, "Don't even bother taking this test. You will never get in." <laughs> um, but I they I was I had qualified to take it, so they so they sent me up there and I took it. And when the letter arrived at our at our place saying that I had got in, uh, they ran up to, you know, my elementary school to, to like screaming, <laughs> you got in, you got in. That's amazing. Um, That's yeah. awesome, man. That is awesome. 
So uh, you then went to uh, your your fellow uh, Big Ten guy, although uh, my, mine's kind of a faux Big Ten thing. I went to Penn State, but you know, we were in the Atlantic Ten when I was there, but now in the Big Ten. But you went to Northwestern wow. for undergrad. Yes, yeah. Um, it was I, – man, I haven't been back to Chicago only a couple times since then, but – it um it was it was hard to go from New York to uh you know to Northwestern and to the Midwest, having never really been traveled widely outside the city before. Then, um, I grew up as like the quiet guy among my group of friends, and then I got to I got to I got to college, and people were like, "Who is this brash New Yorker?" Uh, <laughs> but once I settled in, it was a good experience. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I, I found that too. Like when, and and I grew up in Pennsylvania, but I came to New York, and you know, just having like a year or two in New York, I then you know always thought that I wanted to move to California, but I got to the Bay Area, and I'm just like, Jesus, it's so slow out here, man. And what are you taking the beer out of my hand at like one thirty for? Come on, you know, don't we go till four here? Isn't that what big cities do? <laughs> Nothing good happens after two a.m. Man. <laughs> true that. True that. Uh, so what now explain to me now you got a Fulbright scholarship, which is uh which is a scholarship to study abroad. Um was this undergrad? Um was this when you were getting your master's? At, at what point did you get the did you get the Fulbright? Right. So I did like a combined um uh bachelor's and master's in journalism at Northwestern. So I was able to get out of there in just over four years with the master's. Um and Towards the last year of that is when I started applying for the Fulbright. Um, and that it was something that uh, really came almost out of nowhere for me. I, I, I was working on an independent study uh, the, my, my last year of undergrad. And it was about different kinds of sports books, uh, sports journalism, really like long, long – I hate to use the word long form. But, you know, <laughs> book length and famous magazine – uh, writing about sports. And one of the books I read in the course of that study was Alexander Wolf's Big Game, Small World, which is a, you know, a sports illustrated writer goes around, uh, you know, North America, as well as a lot of countries all over the place and writes a, about basketball in each place. There's one chapter on the Philippines in there it was 17 pages long. But at that point in my life, the idea that a country on the other side of the world that I'd never been to that I knew very little about could have this passion for the sport that I had grown up with and cared so much about, um, you know, really since I was a, a little kid, uh, blew my mind and, and inspired me to apply for the grant. And I was fortunate enough to get it and, and ended up spending whew, uh, three years there to research, you know, first the first year was just about fulfilling the grant, and then I stayed afterwards because I really wanted to try and turn it into a book, um, and also just didn't want to leave. And <laughs> it over over time, it really, you know, it certainly changed my life in in as many ways as you can imagine, both directly and indirectly. Right, right, right. So I mean, but you know, the I haven't read the, that Alexander Wolf book, and you, I, you know, you're saying there's like a lot of different countries in there. What, mm -hmm. what specifically about the Philippines uh, uh, really attracted you? The thing that stuck out to me, and it's funny because now they are the sort of scenes and images that I probably I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but I 
I don't even really uh, do a double take when I see them when I go back to the country now. But the he he described um, kids playing. Uh, all over the country, you know, in cities and in rural areas, in bare feet or in flip-flops. Chinelas uh, is the Tagalog word for them. Um, people building basketball hoops out of really whatever material was available to them and throwing them up uh, pretty much anywhere they could find some some open space. And the I think it, that that was really what what struck me: the idea that there was this outsized passion for the sport in a place where I just never expected it to be that way because I mean there are there haven't been there has never been a homegrown uh born and raised in the Philippines player who who made it to the NBA so I wasn't familiar with anyone certainly at that time and there've only been a handful of uh Filipino American players who've made it to the league so the idea that all the way on the other side of the world this country where I just didn't associate with the game at all was arguably the most passionate about the sport place, uh, you know, in the world. That um, that really kind of knocked my socks off and made me want to go out there and and try and learn about it on my own. Interesting, interesting. Well, I mean, you know, I I, I watched uh, not to jump ahead, but I, you know, I watched mm. some of your uh, National Geographic. Uh, show from uh from the philippines and it's really striking to see you six three you know red-headed white guy you know over in the philippines where you you look like you know will chamberlain o- over there <laughs> um so wh- when when did you first i mean you got the fulbright but wh- what year did you go over uh i first went to the country november 2005 okay so and you stayed for how long I was so I, it wasn't continuous, but I lived there for three years, and I would usually only come back um, around Christmas time for a couple of weeks to both uh, see my family, and also <laughs> the other the other side of it was that was also a time at McSorley's that I could work for you know they always needed extra bodies around the holidays, and I could work. Uh, two weeks straight at McSorley's uh, right after Christmas, before uh, like between Christmas, New Year's, around then, and make enough uh, make enough money to live for six to eight months in Manila. Uh, so so it was also uh, a way to support myself and give myself a cushion for each New Year I was staying there. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. That's awesome. So uh, eventually, your your time there and and uh, you know and and your research turned into a book, uh, Pacific Rims. Um, I've just you know read online, you know, some of the reaction from uh, people from the Philippines who absolutely you know love you and, and love the book. But uh, what reaction have you gotten? Uh, you know, as, as you you know, I, I assume you kind of. Uh, go back and forth a little bit, right? I mean, you 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 kind of travel there fairly frequently, right? Yeah, I, I've been really fortunate. Um, I you know between going back for little work reasons over the years, and you know whether it was working on those the the first in National Geographic Philippines, you know 
TV show on local cable, and then a, like years later, uh, a similar show on on CNN Philippines, uh, and also when I was working, you know, later on at uh, or in between then at Grantland. Uh, I managed to finagle a couple trips uh, to go write about things back there. Uh, and so between being able to uh, talk my way into free trips as well as just paying my own way, uh, I've been back to the country every year except one since I moved back to the States full time uh, in 2009. So it, it And I really am that's, – that's both – something I feel uh, fortunate to have done as well as it's, it's something I make a point of doing at this now that I, I mean, I just, I, I always thought while I was living there and, and during my Fulbright and working on Pacific rims that it wasn't, it wasn't just a project to me. It wasn't just something that I would go there, I'd get this book done and it would launch my career and then I'd move on. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. People do that in a lot of different ways, not just in the Philippines, but with everything. Uh, but to me, it, it just, what I found there um, meant so much to me and I wanted to keep going back and and maintain touch with the basketball world there, with my friends there, with my like my my increasing roster of godchildren there. So <laughs> I, I basically I make one I, if I don't have a work reason to go back, I will go back for two to three weeks uh, on my own dime every year. Wow, you have godchildren over there. That is wild. That is wild. I, so I mean, uh, in the Philippines, uh, you know, to mo- it's common to have uh, as many as a dozen godparents for uh, ninongs and ninangs. Uh, so uh, it's not like an exclusive honor, but still, I am I, I am honored when people have asked me and try to go back. And the thing is, it kind of got out in the neighborhood where I, I used to live that. I would accept this honor and then actually follow through and uh, send <laughs> send, send them small up with some amounts gifts. of money, bring <laughs> bring back gifts. So I, I became known as a good ninong in the community, which is something. It's a responsibility I take seriously, but it's also something that uh, I, I. There have been moments when I wonder if. Uh, some some folks who have asked me who I barely knew uh, were were perhaps uh, a little opportunistic, but whatever. It's, it's that's fine. I, I that's that's part of my life there, I, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, looking at your timeline on on Twitter, I, I see like uh, names in the Philippines, like you know, Carl Malone, you know, uh, <laughs> as as like a first name, or uh, you know, Antoine Jameson, you know, kids naming their, or, or families naming their, their kids after like, uh, LeBron and, you know, uh, Antoine Jameson and, and so on. A- any, uh, Rafe Boogs or, uh, Rafe Bartholomew's, uh, in, in the Philippines? I have not, uh, seen that yet. And honestly, I feel like that is your, if you're naming, um, a child after me, you're messing up, you know, the, 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 the drop off from Carl Malone or there's a, there's actually, he's, he's a, um, high school player. Now he's 17 years old, a kid from Cebu in the Visayas named Steve Nash Enriquez. Uh, you know, I mean, you're naming kids after hall of famers there. You don't need to, to sort of, uh, slum it with me. <laughs> 
Well, and also you've got like that long last name. You know, they they gotta they gotta they gotta cut that down a little bit. You well, know? actually, my last name is very similar to uh, not common, but but fairly. Uh, not not unknown Filipino last name. Like if you just took off the W on Bartholomew, if you took out the H and the W and said Bartolome, that would be a Filipino last name. And people, a lot of the time when I was there setting up interviews, you know, I would send a text to some, you know, I, I'd get a old basketball player's phone number, send him a text and introduce myself, say, can I interview you for this book I'm working on? When I'd arrive at the, the player's house, they'd be like, oh, I thought you were Filipino-American because your last name is Bartolome. <laughs> That's wild. That is wild. Um, so you, 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 you eventually made your way back stateside. You worked a little for, for Harper's and then, uh, and then you went to Grantland. So you were there for what, four years. And, uh, you know, what was it like there? You were editor of sports features there. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I was there pretty, almost the entire run at Grantland. I, I think my first day, uh, on the job, was maybe our third or fourth day of publishing. So I wasn't one of the handful of people who were there for planning, but I was pretty much the next person to to begin working there in 2011 and stayed on. I was the literally the last man out the building and um you know took all of the remaining Grantland quarterlies and basically all the rem- and the the mugs and <laughs> the t-shirts all of all the, the remaining inventory <laughs> yeah i mean the my i i um i considered it my i, I uh, figured after all we went through i might as well uh make a buck off of what was left of the swag <laughs> and, and i did it, it it lasted quite a while um but anyway um you know, sports was our bread and butter there, uh, and I was uh, one of the editors. And eventually, you know, after a few months, worked into a position where I became the features editor there, working on a lot of, um, you know, sort of mag. The idea was to uh, produce magazine level uh, feature writing uh, at that website. And, and we were fortunate enough to have a budget and the, the writers and the support all around to, to achieve that more often than not. No doubt. No doubt. You know, one thing I didn't ask you, where did your interest in boxing come from? It actually, so it didn't, it started with my, with my father and, and growing up, um, HBO really, uh, he, you know, my father was a big, uh, and this is this is before I was really fine. I mean, I would have been three years old when they fought, but um, my father, I can remember him talking all the time about, <laughs> about how pissed he was that um, Marvin Hagler did not get the decision over Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, <laughs> and so, and we, he wasn't a diehard, he is not a diehard fan, but he would watch the fights on HBO. And so I remember watching those together and, and certain big moments really stick out growing up. But on top of that, it was really, it was actually the Philippines that converted me from a sort of casual observer of the sport who would, you know, knew a few names and, and whatnot to really, really, uh, following it, uh, all the time and and different weight classes and and building into now writing about the sport um you know i like i said i I arrived in the philippines in november 2005 and i think that would have been 
right around the time that um, you know Manny Pacquiao was fighting Eric Morales for the second time, ah. and so I, I was there. I mean, Manny was undefeated for the three years that I lived in the country. I moved back to the states right after the De La Hoya fight, mm. um, and I remember I, I remember when I, I was doing interviews with some old sports writers around the time of they were planning to to make the De La Hoya fight and even they were like this is crazy this should this should this is just this is murder um <laughs> he's too small uh and look at us now um but uh so anyway not only was the the passion and the interest in boxing throughout the country sort of infectious at the time but it was it, it also the the other thing that that got me really really deeply into the sport was just that local TV had all the fights on for free. Even not just Manny's fights, but every big fight was on some channel there that I ended up that, that I would just watch. I'd turn on cable on a there, you know, it's twelve or thirteen hours ahead depending on the time of year from Eastern Time. And so Sunday mornings I could just turn on the TV and whatever was on HBO or Showtime or pay-per-view I could just watch. And it, it was, uh, I got spoiled that way, but, and it also, uh, it made me, you know, it made me know the sport a lot better. And I, I have these really vivid memories of, of watching fights like, um, you know, like, like Cotto Margarito won in uh. my, my old living room in Manila. Or I remember, um, it may, I think it must've been, uh, Bernard Hopkins and Winky Wright, I watched on like a beach in the middle of nowhere and they just pulled out a TV and all of a sudden we were watching it. And so I saw all these fights and then I think the the final step in my conversion had to do with Grantland because when we were there, we had a pretty – we didn't have a big – in-house staff uh, of of editors at first uh we had a lot we had a lot of writers but they were dispersed all over the country and and even even with all the writers nobody really was a boxing person and so there was i think maybe a few months into the life of the website would would have been uh <laughs> the 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 fabulous first fight between Bernard Hopkins and Chad Dawson at Staples Center. <laughs> and that was one where they looked around and said, Does anybody care about this? We should, this is, we, our office is literally steps away from this. Does anyone here, has anyone here even seen these people fight before? And I've raised <laughs> my hands like, I have. Um, and so they said, Okay, Rafe, well, go there, write about it. And um, that was the first, first fight I covered um, outside of a few fights that, uh, a few Broadway boxing events that Lou DiBella had lift, left tickets for the the lads of McSorley's at. Uh, <laughs> it was you know that was those were the first fights I've been to live before then. But uh, 2011, uh, Hopkins Dawson won with uh, Danny Garcia fighting Kendall Holt, and of course okay. uh, Linares and Tony DeMarco on the undercard ah, was was my fight. First, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, amazing. Um, and then, and then the sort of anti-climax of Bernard um, uh, injuring his shoulder, uh, yes. and and that fight ending in the second round. <laughs> That's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. Yeah. 
Well, Grantland, I mean, so so you did some writing at Grantland. Uh, also, you know, very talented writer, uh, Jay Caspi and Kang wrote, wrote a yeah. lot of stuff uh, there. And, you know, I, I always loved his pieces, but every piece he wrote, and I mean, there was always great insight into it, but you had to wade through the first two or three paragraphs where he absolutely <laughs> shit on the sport. <laughs> you know, and just like, absolutely, this sport is garbage. Uh, you know, it's so crooked. Uh, and then he'd get, and then he'd like actually start talking about the characters and and, and so on and, and and really have some really great insight. But it was just like, okay, I'm going to skip to like the fourth paragraph. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jay was really Jay is why I got that job. Um, we met. He, we met a couple of years or a year before then when, um, when Pacific Rim's reading in Berkeley when he was still living in the Bay and he just, he, you know, he came and I, I, that was when I was working at Harper's and I had used some of his writing that showed up at Free Darko on a, um, uh, on the daily sort of Harper's Digest that we would publish online is like it's just linking to here's an interesting story that this guy who has a crazy name who I'd never knew uh, <laughs> wrote about um, Jeremy Lin or John Wall or whoever and we met then and and I I remember I couldn't believe it when he reached out to me six months or whatever later and was like hey I'm working I I got hired at this huge project that everyone has heard about that Bill Simmons is running. Do you, do you, and, and I think it's going to be a lot of work. I might need another editor to come work with us. Were you, you were you interested in coming on board? And I was like, I was like, you Jay, how'd that happen? Um, <laughs> I mean, not because I, uh, obviously I, 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 for, I believed in his talent from the first time I read anything he'd written, but he just wasn't a, a when I met him, he wasn't like a, a well-known writer and neither was I. So the idea that all of a sudden a year later we were there working uh, at ESPN under Bill was a, was a crazy thing for us. And we both ended up doing a lot of boxing together because it was fun. We, we found that like even though – look, if, we, if all we cared about was um, – you know, getting the most eyeballs on whatever we wrote, we probably never would have written a sentence about boxing. But <laughs> the sport was just so much more fun to be around than the NBA or any of the major sports. Um, probably because it is more messed up. Because there is right. there's just so many competing, uh, competing uh, agendas, and everyone's always screwing each other over. And <laughs> the, and of course, because it has to be sold event by event. Uh, you got much better access and you got a greater feel for the athletes and the fighters than you could ever get with, with most NBA players. Um, so it, we, we found right away that uh, just from the point of view, and, and it helped that even, I, I know Jay, he does really, really like boxing, even if he did uh, Drag have a preamble. From, yeah, yeah. <laughs> have several, uh, he started off negative in a lot of ways, but um you know, it was, it, we just, it, it was a lot of, it, that was sort of how we kept ourselves sane in those uh, stressful editorial jobs was by carving out time to go to fights and, and, and write about them and get involved in the sport. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, I mean, uh, at some point after, I mean, you, you, uh, 
you wrote um, two and two. Uh, McSorley's My Dad and Me, um, or I guess you you um, you published it in, in 2016. So did that were you writing that while you were at Grantland or? I was supposed to. Um, that was uh, <laughs> I I I got the contract for that in 2012 and was supposed to finish it that year, and I just couldn't manage the uh, you know trying to balance my, my job at the website as well as writing a book. And, you know, I wrote stuff, I tried, but it, everything I wrote, it, it just, it, it, it was terrible what I was writing. And the, the one real silver lining for me personally of Grantland eventually being shut down was that it happened with just enough time for me to save the book. Um, and that was the, my, my first course of action, you know, at the, 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 the last months of 2015 after ESPN closed the website was, OK, I, I am going to make sure I don't lose the book. And I and I did. I finished it, you know, in about three months after that. It also was vindicating for me because all these like for years I had been telling the publishing people, look, look, it's not my fault. I just I'm so busy. I can't do it. Um and uh, and then once I didn't have a job anymore, I all of a sudden I could do it. So in some way, I uh, I proved myself right. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, just looking kind of at the timeline. So did you like dive right into basketball, a love story, as soon as you 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 were able to to finish two and two, or how how did the the timing on that work? Pretty closely, I think I was um, going. You know, I had already submitted. Uh, two and two and it had been accepted. I was going through, I think maybe my final edits on it when the opportunity to work on basketball, love story came along. Um, and I got, they, you know, it started that, that, that book started with the documentary that that's out on ESPN. And, um, it was Dan Clores who had been working for years on the project had said, had, had orchestrated, uh, uh, 170 plus interviews with almost everyone you could ever imagine in the history of the sport from, you know, Bill Russell to Denny Crum to LeBron and Steph. Um, and, you know, with the idea that it would all be loosely held together by the theme of the love of the game and what and and sort of the devotion to, to, to the sport. Um and I, at some point in Dan's process of working on the film, he decided that, hey, I'm sitting on these, you know, on hundreds of hours of interviews with the, the these legends of basketball, you know, past and present. And even with the 20 hours that ESPN gave him to do the documentary, he still was not going to be able to use everything that he wanted. And so that's when it's around the time that he started looking around and, and ended up settling on me and Jackie McMullen to to turn it in turn turn the transcripts into a book. Um, and that was the you know one of the it was a dream project. It was it felt like having the the Dead Sea Scrolls of basketball <laughs> dropped on us right. and getting the directive to pull out the the holy text from it, you know, find <laughs> find the best stuff in here and turn it into a book. Um, and it was it really was uh, moving to, 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 to be in that position and, and a real honor. No, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, 
I, I got that for Christmas, actually, and uh, I, I've been going through it. I, and the great thing about it, too, is that you don't have to read it sequentially because each section is, you know, it's it's what well, loosely in chronological order, right? But right. Um, but uh, you know, each each section is kind of its own thing. Um, and of course, I went straight to the ABA section because I knew that would be a lot of fun, and, and it really is. But uh, but uh, then I went back, you know, to the beginning after I read that, and no, it's it's really good. What what are your some of your, some of your favorite uh, parts of the book? Um, I'm so I mean, the ABA is one that I worked on that I was really uh, that that uh, yeah, it was. I mean, I had already, of course, read Loose Balls, the the oral history that Terry Pluto had put together about the ABA, but still getting to work on one, uh, even if it was similar uh, of my own, was was really 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 fun and just the 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 craziness of that league the way i mean the characters like john brisker who you know i mean unfor- it sounds like he met a, a really unfortunate end after his career but nobody knows a, though that's nobody, the his, they never, never found, found him he's <laughs> just been declared dead his he was a, you know his aba player who was known as one of the most dangerous fighters but also a great scorer right. um and then after his basketball career they he was seen um, working as a mercenary for Idi Amin in Uganda, and and it's just assumed that he he died somewhere in Africa uh, in the in the 80s, I guess. Um, but just learning about those characters, you know, really getting deeper into those characters was was something special. As well as, I mean, the story that always the first story that always comes to mind is um, <laughs> is uh, is Calvin Murphy talking about. His, uh, you know, how, how his passion for baton twirling, which is something I had never. Oh ever yeah, I remember watching or thought about. I remember yeah, watching yeah. him do it. He's amazing. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was champ. a exactly. He was a national champion <laughs> baton twirler, and he's goes. You know, he's talking about how that's why he went to Niagara because they offered him a chance to do baton routines during the middle of during halftime of Buffalo Bills games up there. (laughs) And also he links it to, you know, Calvin Murphy, uh, in addition to being a a baton twirler and accomplished scorer was known as one of the more fearsome fighters in NBA history and claimed to have gone 17 and 0 in NBA fights, whatever that means. (laughs) Um, and He's, he he credited a, a portion of that toughness to being a growing up as a baton twirler because people would always make fun of him and he'd have to defend himself. He'd have to stand up for himself. Just the craziest stuff. Um, that was you know. So I loved that story. And also, I mean, I I think back. Um, John Thompson, the you know like ex Georgetown coach, had his interview. Uh, uh, about just feels like 70 pages of pure uh, wisdom about basketball and life in general and race in particular. He's got a few, um, you know, a few lines in there that just cut right to the heart of what it feels like, you know, the sport, but also the the, the American experience. Right. No, it, you know, yeah, there's a lot of that in there. And yeah, it, 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 you know, especially in the early days of the game, you just see, you know, just how, you know, guys who are like, you know, revered while they're on the court and then they leave the court and, you know, try to go, you know, to a restaurant or a hotel and they can't even get in, you know, or come back from winning a gold medal overseas representing their country and they can't even like stay in a hotel or go to a restaurant. It's just, 
you know it's it's like you know unthinkable for us but the the fact that that was uh that that was a you know the way life was you know and, and uh you know well basically all the way through the 60s uh is uh you know it's pretty jarring you know when when you read the accounts from these guys yeah and even to hear you, you know it's also eye opening to read the accounts of some of the you know the the white players from the north who you know you think about it, there's no internet back then they're not these are athletes they're probably not going out of their way to read uh you know local newspaper accounts of life in whatever other states they aren't living in or or even in the states they are living in right they're, i mean the world could be so much smaller for people back then and all of a sudden, they accept the scholarship to go play at North Carolina or wherever, and all and and, and see segregation for the first time, and and are sort of like, where did this come from? What what the hell is this? Uh, and they, you know, um, and you know, to their credit, many of them uh, helped sort of you know at least fight back in their own ways about it in their own time. Um, but it was just you know, the, the, such a different, uh, so different in 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 every way back then. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I highly recommend the book. I mean, it's it's definitely one that, that, that that's really easy to read, and like I said, you can skip around. Although I don't know why you would want to if you're if you're a basketball fan, because all you know every every time period is is pretty amazing. Um, yeah, it's it's funny because it starts too with uh, you know I mean you know obviously no one knew uh, that Kobe would meet uh, such an early demise, but yeah, he's like yeah. one of the first people quoted. In the book, uh, I was just wondering, you know, you know, because you have your kind of uh, finger on the pulse of, of of the Philippines. What's what's been the reaction in the Philippines to to Kobe's death? Oh, I mean, people. He was one of the the very most popular players in the country. I mean, he he visited more than I think almost any. Uh, may, may maybe more than any player. Period. Um, certainly more than any other big star player of the past you know the past 20 25 years and he you could even there people you know the basketball community in the philippines kind of saw in 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 a at least a a annual visit way saw him grow up his first he his first there's there's still video of this on youtube his first visit to the country in late say nine is either 1998 or 99 after his rookie season where he's going there with his adidas shoes and he's he just looks so young and he's it's just this different kobe where he's so he's he's extremely cocky but he's also game to do anything they he's they they pull him onto they they hold a huge cultural ceremony for him uh, including uh you know dance demonstrations and pull him onto the dance floor to to do the tinikling which is the, the a dance that he has to sort of um it's sort of it, it's a similar rhythm to say double dutch um <laughs> except you're jumping through um bamboo sticks that that the that people that you know the people are sort of moving the closing around your feet if you don't move your feet at the right beat um and he jumps right in and he nails it immediately it was it's pretty Im impressive having learned some thinikling over the years myself and not picked it up as fast seeing kobe just step in and and all of a sudden he's doing it was, it was incredible and yeah it, it was he you know the also because of the 
really, really large um, Filipino-American community in Southern California. I mean, the Lakers are the most popular team in the Philippines uh, among NBA teams. And Kobe, because he was there for so long, sort of became the, 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 the most favorite player for so many people there. Um, and I, I, honestly, one of the, the first thing I thought of, uh, or maybe not the first thing, but like after sort of absorbing the just the the, the tragedy of, of, you know, uh, him dying and his daughter and everyone else in the helicopter, I, I thought of uh, a woman I did. I met uh, and was in the CNN show uh, named Kat Tan. And she, you know, she lost her arm in a um in a carnival accident when she was about eight years old. And a few months after that was, you know, the Kobe's first trip in like 98 or 99. And, uh, she happened, she, you know, she, they brought her to one of the events and he met her there and was really sweet to her and took pictures. And then almost over the years after that, and she has, she has photos and newspaper clippings framed on her wall from that from that day in 1999 um and then over the years she would see him pretty much every time that he came back and visited for another shoe promotion or something like that he'd make time and and check in with her um and she got really you know she ended up even though she she you know she has just one arm played high school basketball played small college basketball um and when she was in her early 20s, uh, this would have been maybe six, seven years ago, the uh, Nike threw her in. You know, Kobe was coming back and Nike threw her in with an elite high school players camp, even though she was past high school, but whatever. They, they <laughs> threw her in with, with the high school players that he was running for them. And the last moment of the uh, of, of their, the little clinic he ran for them he did the the sort of the old drill where he he selects one person and says, "Okay, you ha- if you make this, if you, you you know shoot a three, if you make it, we're done. If you miss it, everyone runs but you, and you have to watch them." Right. Um, and he picked Cat, and she she walked out there and drilled it, and it was nice. just this. It was like something out of a movie, and <laughs> and just the idea. Look, I mean, to me. I didn't. I, I don't know if I'm just cynical or whatever. If I never bought into, I, I can't. I have not been personally inspired by a lot of athletes in terms of like I want to live my life according to this person's whatever, like you know, shoe slogan. Um, <laughs> but but meeting, I, I've met so many people who really did take that Mamba mentality stuff to heart and and used it to to really overcome huge odds and and achieve really inspiring things. And I thought of, I thought of people like Kat immediately, you know, when, when, uh, when he died. Oh, wow. Wow. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. Um, Kobe was also close, uh, with, with, uh, Manny, right? Uh, yeah. supposedly, I mean, yes, obviously uh, Manny is a huge, huge basketball fan, right? And, and owns a team no? Yes. I mean, I've, I've played against his, uh, his, you know, when he's in LA training, he will bring groups of guys up to Eagle Rock, uh, where I used to live, and play. You know, like get do open gyms, uh, also in Highland Park at Franklin High School, uh, and do open gyms there. And there have actually been guys who, uh, you know, Fili- Filipino American players who, 
it's kind of like tried their luck in Manila and didn't make it to the pros there, came back to LA, and then by playing at Manny's open runs, uh, ended up getting second chances in their careers and sticking on because the, <laughs> because Manny liked them and he's like, oh yeah, get, put him back on my team. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's, you know, of course, the famous story of him uh, perhaps uh, annoying the judges on the night of uh, the first Bradley fight because he wanted to wait in his dressing room until the end of the the Celtics heat game seven in the Eastern <laughs> Conference finals. Um, yeah, it's a, he is very much uh, a, a, you know, that he is. Manny, in a lot of ways, runs his basketball, his singing, his billiards, um, the sort of even as famous as he is, the the way he manages to be open with people and sort of uh, friendly at all times, very very much sort of the Filipino everyman, even while he is the Filipino Superman. Right, right. So you actually balled with uh, with Manny. I have been able to play with him on a couple occasions. Uh, wow. It's it's like whenever you're playing with someone really famous, you you know they 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 get. Uh, uh, a few extra shots, and <laughs> you don't guard them too tightly. Right, he gets that extra step back on on on, on his uh, on his euro step or anything like that, or step to the side. Right, say. right. If he wants, to, well, and and so Manny loves to do. He loves to throw the ball to himself off the backboard for layups, and probably you know in those games, especially because he recruits. I mean, some really good players to play, to 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 come in and and join those runs with him. Um, and a lot of them could probably bust up that move, but he usually <laughs> he usually gets it off. <laughs> that is hilarious. That is hilarious. So speaking of Manny, and 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 you know, oh, oh, I, I guess I want to ask you too. I mean, did he recognize you at all from from the? I mean, was is he a big National Geographic fan in the, in the Philippines? Did he know you from the TV show? I I know he didn't. Um, although it was funny, there's one there. There's a weird video of us on YouTube one time in LA, um, where a uh, former you know he's a, he's a sportscaster named Chino Trinidad. His his father is Reca Trinidad, a, a famous boxing and basketball writer in the country. Um, and Chino saw I, I saw I was going I was just going to this park to actually get my own shots up. And Manny was doing his road work there. It was is Pan Pacific. Sometimes he goes to Griffith Park, and sometimes the sort of the light days are at Pan Pacific in, in near the Grove. And he and, and so I saw them there, and they grabbed me and sort of you know put me on camera with him. And they were talking. You know, they're like, "Oh, this guy, he speaks Tagalog." He, and and they told they told Manny that I was the illegitimate son of a famous American basketball coach in the Philippines <laughs> and he was like hey really Taga? wow <laughs> um and I, and I then I was like oh no 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 joke joke lang joke we're just kidding um but no I don't think I he may have seen CNN since then I have not uh I haven't asked but I you know I would love to go back and do a story for the athletic about the basketball league that he founded and which is kind of like a, um, you know, making an interesting run at the, the traditional, you know, long since it's the second oldest professional basketball league in the world, the PBA after the NBA. Um, but Manny's league, the M the MPBL, which 
technically stands for Maharlika Pilipinas Basketball League, but if you if you think about it, probably the MP also means something else. Um, <laughs> anyway, his, his that league is is connecting with fans in a new way um, because it's more local and it almost just embraces the lower, it's just the, the the more freewheeling style of. Um, sort of street basketball in the country rather than trying to be <laughs> the best version of basketball or the most effective. And it's, it's drawing some big crowds. It's also free most of the time. Uh, but in any case, I'd love to go back and, and try and write about that. Uh, uh, maybe the next, basically I think the next time I go, I visit, I will stick around for an extra couple of weeks and, and maybe put that together. Okay. Yeah. You know, I actually didn't know that Manny had formed his own league. I thought he owned a team in the PBA, but I guess he's he's got his own. He league. did for a while. Um, he didn't own it. He was the you know like the, it was uh, owned by a car company, and they made him the player coach for a while. There was a there was a right, minor right. controversy where Daniel Orton, formerly of the Oklahoma City Thunder, was playing for another team and spoke negatively of of Manny's ability and then had to be replaced because of it it was uh but um, it was those were those days were crazy when he was playing for that team because you know he wouldn't he wouldn't overdo it but he'd plug himself in for a 5 minute stretch uh you know in the second or third quarter and the crowds would lose their minds <laughs> like it would just and not because 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 he's adored but also because you know, they were in on the joke. It was just hilarious. You know, like, and the, and the players that had to guard him were sort of stuck in this complete no win situation where (laughs) they, if they, if they went too hard at Manny one, I mean, he was already in, in, in public service and, you know, and a national hero. And, you know, you did not want to be in the position of injuring him or, uh, jeopardizing his, his future earnings or his, his boxing career. Um, and, but then like, if you let him score on you, everybody was just going to lose their mind laughing because, you know, everyone, people, as much as they adore Manny, I don't think anyone is kidding themselves to think that he, he uh, belongs in the PBA. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is crazy. That's absolutely crazy. I mean, you know, and, and there's really no comp over here. I mean, you know, Roy Jones did play, uh, you know, uh, a little ball, and what was it, the USBL? Mm-hmm. But, uh, did, did he <laughs> not? He fought. also owned the team, right? Or he was part owner of a team? <sighs> I can't remember. He might have. Yeah, probably. I, I, I mix him up when with when Master P was playing also in that league. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, definitely a dilemma. You know, you can't because uh, I mean, you're also you know, if it's a, if it's a official league game, you're trying to win. You know, you can't like. Uh, yeah, these guys have bonuses on the line. You know, both for whether they win or lose the game, incentives for how much they score, all kinds of stuff. It's not. <laughs> It's, it's it's a dangerous situation. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. So, so hey man, we've uh, we've definitely talked about some b-ball on this on this podcast. But uh, yeah, my apologies to your <laughs> listeners and to the to the people of the Ring Magazine. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Hey, I had uh, Jim Quinn on uh, last time. That was a good one. Yeah, you know it's it's funny too because uh, you know in reading the the basketball love story, you know one one more basketball story here. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know when they talk about Connie Hawkins, I mean I don't you know I mean I'm basically giving away uh, you know the, the, the part of Jim's book. But um, you know you're talking about Connie Hawkins when he finally signed with the Phoenix Suns. Like Jim's book, 
goes into, you know, all the labor negotiations and the lawsuits and all that. And it's a really funny story where, where at one point, um, Jim was deposing uh, the owner of the Phoenix Suns and basically, you know, trying to find out, you know, whether, you know, any of the contracts that they had with players, if there were any deals that they made, you know, outside of the contracts. And the Suns owner kind of got like a funny look on his face. And, uh, and, and he had like a little sidebar with his attorney, who was David Stern, and, and they decided to, to speak off the record. And basically, he told them, yeah, we do have, uh, you know, one player who has a one provision of the contract that's, you know, that's, that's not on the books. Basically, uh, Connie Hawkins, um, they had to pay for a, pro- you know, it was an oral contract. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> they had to pay a prostitute to, uh, to perform services for, for Connie wow. for home games. But uh, but on the road he was on his own. So, jeez, um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time. It was a different time. Yeah, it was the late '60s, early '70s, free love. You know, it was a pretty wild time. But uh, but yeah, that that's that's how wild the uh, the ABA and NBA wars were back then. You know, you had to put <laughs> those uh, special provisions in the contract to get the guys to sign. But but. Uh, but on that note, let's uh, let's get to uh, some boxeo. Uh, I liked your article uh, on the Athletic. Uh, your your opening bell, which uh, is now I have to ask this: is opening bell kind of what supposed to be what speed bag was, which was kind of like what respect box <laughs> was, or wh- where are we going uh, with the opening bell? I don't. I mean, so I. I Perhaps, but it, it's definitely more. Um, it's more down the line, down the middle. It is it, the opening bell idea is to you know on Mondays to set the you know to set the course for the week. What whatever is going on in the sport, either playing off of what happened over the previous weekend or looking ahead to what's going on in the coming week. It's sort of there to set the table. It is, I, I, I adore, uh, you know, the, the old respect box newsletter that I was doing before I got hired at the, at the athletic. Um, and then, you know, kind of kept that alive for a while with the, the speed bag idea, which I, which was at the athletic for a minute. And that was though those were way more offbeat and freeform, and we're gonna go find the funniest, weirdest out there stuff going on in boxing. Um, the the opening bell tone is a little more restrained. I got you. I got you. So no more heel Canelo. We've seen. Oh, heel Canelo is still alive. I think heel Canelo. <laughs> I mean, because I th- the, really the the I think at the athletic where you know we are trying to appeal to a large audience. Um, and maybe, you know, bigger than, than, than the, 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 you know, from the thousand or well, their respect box maybe had a thousand subscribers, but really only a half of them would, 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 would open it. And I don't know how many would read it, uh, beyond that, but yeah, so you're trying to reach more people than that. And so Canelo, Hey, yeah, that's fine. Um, it's really the weird, uh, deep dives into Myris Briatis's Instagram feed and things like that that are harder to get away with at the athletic. But that's what we loved about those columns, Rafe. No no one writes about the sport like that, man. Those were awesome. Those were absolutely awesome. That I mean, so at at, at this point in time, 
you know, the, the, they're on that the whole speed bag concept is, is on hiatus that I guess pretty much I, once in a while I look, sometimes I get an email saying, Hey, do you want to do a speed bag? There's nothing going on this week. And I, I to me, that's sort of insulting to the, the grand, <laughs> the, the, the grand vision of the speed bag. And I, I usually decline. I'm not, I, this is not, um, it's not a, it's not a filler situation. Also, it's doing that takes up a lot of time and, and right. to st- kind of scour all of the social media of fight fighters and really read closely the for you know everything in boxing scene for the the the, the silliest quotes that I can find <laughs> all that like yeah it, it, it there's an extra le- to do it well it takes an extra level of effort beyond browsing that once it stopped being an, a regular part of my job I I kind of you know didn't have time to do anymore so it's one of those things where I don't want to I don't want to dilute. I don't want to dilute the brand, and I also don't want to uh, uh, have it let it allow it to be something that can just show up when there's nothing better. Because hey, in my heart, speed bag is number one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Not to not to paraphrase a BC, but they got to respect the bag. They got to respect the bag, man. <laughs> Play uh, with the bag. That's right. <laughs> you know, it can't just be like a you know every once in a while thing. You got to you know you got to continually massage the bag. <laughs> but uh so speaking of BC I really appreciated the shout out uh that that he gave me on uh, a a podcast ago really appreciate that I wanted to to send a a shout out as well to to BC um and also wanted to get into like I said the, the one of the articles you wrote recently about um Wilder Fury 2 coming mm. up that's definitely without question the biggest fight uh on the horizon right now so um you know, and, and one of the things you got into right away was, you know, the the change of trainers that uh, that that Fury made to to you know take on uh, Sugar Hill. Um, shout out to Sugar Hill. He used to train when I uh, when I had Dimitri Salida. He was training Dimitri. Um, you're wondering whether you know he can he that that some of that magic Kronk uh, Stardust will uh, will fall on Tyson. What's what's your uh, opinion? Yeah, well, l- let me let me ask you, Kurt, right uh, right off the top. Really, the the biggest question i have and i i am i I am skeptical of it but i am i do want to sort of hear out whether it's it seems like it's possible are can you think of examples of fighters doing what uh fury is claiming to be up to with with sugar hill and and sort of learning in the span of a few months a a a a tommy hearns like right hand (laughs) Well, I mean, listen, you know, everything I've learned in the sport, you know, from the time I was a kid to like, you know, hanging out with guys like Johnny Boz and so on, it's, you know, punchers are born, not made, you know, so, um, you know, unless they can, you know, I mean, you know, no matter how many, you know, tires you hit with a sledgehammer, no matter how many trees you chop down, I don't think it, you know, it's going to make a difference in one training camp in your punching power, so... Um, you know, I, I, Fury kind of slaps with his shots, you mm-hmm. know, uh, especially the right hand. I mean, maybe Sugar Hill can get him to straighten it out a little more and, you know, and get some, get some ass behind it, get some torque, a little more torque on it. But, uh, I don't, you know, he's not going to turn him into Deontay Wilder. I, I just, I don't see that, you know? Um, yeah. I think, you know, I mean, if you remember from the first fight though, I mean, there was a little tension in that corner, 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, you could see the look on Freddie Roach's face. I mean, there, there were some points in the middle rounds where Fury was hitting Wilder flush with shots, mm-hmm. and but then just staying away. You know, and then he'd come back to the corner. Davis is like, "Yeah, that, that's right." You know, don't don't let it go now. You know, just just keep your cool. You know, like say save your energy. You know, don't don't go after him. You might be tempted. Don't go after him. And you're kind of looking at Freddie. Freddie's like, "Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're hitting him flush with those shots." You know, okay, you know, you're the boss. But uh, yeah, I, I'm interested to see. I mean, I, I you know. And I, I can't imagine that that, that that there aren't other people who've told Tyson that as well. And that might be, you know, maybe the reason for the for the change, although I've heard it's probably financial as well. But um but yeah, I'm I'm interested to see whether whether mm. he actually, you know, will try and sit, you know, stand in a little bit more and, and, and sit down on his shots. I mean it's, it wouldn't totally uh, surprise me if he does. I mean, I kind of wonder if part of it is he, you know, he's thinking that although oh god but he fought really well in that first fight and basically outboxed wilder you know except right. for except for the, the nearly what you know 18 seconds he was uh he was on his ass but <laughs> um the I, I i can imagine him thinking that you know he that that He's going to need. He wants to do something different. He wants. He, he needs. He if that Wilder, you know, may not be as snake charmed the second time around, and he might need to give him a, give him at least some different looks and and possibly you know if he can, yeah, why not? Uh, you know, take a more aggressive stance and and back him up and and see it because it's something we have never seen Wilder really have to do right i mean fight uh, really under pressure because no one is crazy enough to try it right. um fury is crazy enough to try it i don't know if he can if he can pull it off safely it's it's uh, it's it's a fascinating fight because for all those reasons and the other thing with with fury changing trainers he does you do get the the sense that he needs he just needs new uh, new challenges and new just new everything, which I think there's obviously risk to that. But it may be the only way he can get through the day to day. Like too much, um, you know. He he just he just can't be steady in a in a in an environment that is that's predictable um, and. He's so far he's been pretty successful that way. Although you, it, it does in a going into a fight as big as this one against some a puncher as dangerous as Wilder, you it's hard not to wonder if if he is um, if he's finally going to pay a price for for yeah for for messing around. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's I mean. Uh- like, like I said, I, mean, I talked to Doug Fisher about this on the last mm-hmm. podcast. I this is a fight. I still don't know how the hell this is going to go. You know, it, right. it, it really is a mystery. It really is kind of a fifty-fifty fight because you know, um, you know, but for those those uh, uh, big bombs that that Deontay landed, yeah, he he was just giving away a lot of rounds. Although mm-hmm. to be fair, I thought there were a couple of early rounds. I mean, where there just was there wasn't a lot right. of clean punching going on. You could arguably give. Uh, you know, while there's some rounds that, that maybe he didn't get on a lot of scorecards. I mean, there were, there were definitely close rounds, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, because Fury did pretty much fight his fight, uh, for the most part and, and outbox Wilder, you know, for, for large stretches of the fight, um, you, you really think, you know, even with that big knockdown in the last round, it's like, you know, 
you know, you just you you could see the fight going either way. You could definitely see yeah. the fight going either way. So you also talk about his weight, um, mm-hmm. how maybe he's a little a little there's a little more Tyson to love uh, this time around. Um, uh, basically, I mean, he's always been kind of a big bag of milk. You know, he's he's not <laughs> like a, a body beautiful, right? Um, and the last fight, yeah, he he looked awful. I mean, just you know, his physique was awful, but he still he managed to move for twelve rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you think it's going to be just you know, uh, not even so much a physical thing, but do you think you know, just mentally having gotten back two more fights? Um, do you think it's going to be a more comfortable Tyson Fury in there this time around? It's so hard to tell. Um, you know, usually, I mean, he hasn't, he, he, you know, you go back to before he, he, you know, walked away from the sport and went through depression and, and, you know, different kinds of substance abuse and all that he, and, and gained, you know, ballooned up to 400 plus pounds or whatever. he, he usually like at his best. I mean, he he wasn't uh, 270 pounds when he fought Klitschko, um, and while I he does look sturdier, uh, it's hard to tell. Also, like why, why are, it's I, I I don't it's I I feel uh, almost foolish trying to get too kind of Zapruder film with this when <laughs> all I'm looking at is is something he put on his Instagram. I mean, any of us, uh, anyone who spends any time on Instagram uh, probably has seen uh, plenty of people, not just fighters, who are able to make their bodies look a whole lot different than <laughs> it, in uh, on the gram. But based off of the one picture that that Fury posted where, you know, he's got his arms folded in front of his chest. He says, I'm going to come in at 270 pounds, which would be about 15 pounds heavier than he was for the first Wilder fight. His, his shoulders look broader. He looks sturdier. He looks like he's carrying that weight well, which makes sense because like over six foot nine, an extra 15 pounds is not like the extra 15 pounds that Andy Ruiz put on for the rematch with Anthony Joshua. But still against it does suggest i don't know to me that he may try a different game plan because if he was just going to move and make wilder miss you probably don't want that issue you don't want to slow down uh at any point in the fight you don't want to have you know in a game of inches you don't want to lose uh, the wrong inch against deontay wilder so he i i wouldn't do you do you do you think that he that fury may you know, may show us a little bit of the emergency mode Tyson Fury that that he he fought as uh, after getting knocked down by Steve Cunningham, after getting cut by Otto Valin last year, where, you know, all of a sudden the guy who is trying to outbox you at distance is all over you like a big six foot nine sweaty, hairy, you know, bag of milk, as you said. <laughs> I mean, you know. It's 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 you know he has it in his game, yeah. But like you said, I mean, you know who you know who chases a puncher like who, especially a puncher like Deontay Wilder. I mean, do you really want to you know go after him? I mean, maybe in spots. I mean, I remember you know Buddy McGirt talking about you know fighting Simon Brown, you know, and and, and he did a masterful job of moving and 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 keeping you know Simon turning and making him miss that big left hook. But he said, listen, there, you know, there, there comes a time where you have to stand in there. You have to get your respect. 
Um, you know, and that seems to be the better course of action, keep Deontay turning. But, you know, um, like he did in the last round when Deontay, you know, flattened him, only almost had him out. Tyson knew that, you know, Deontay was coming to get him out. So he had to right. fight back and get his respect. So I can see him doing it in spots, but I, I just can't see him. I mean, it would it just doesn't make any sense for a guy who's not a huge puncher um, to 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 take it to Wilder, you know, and, and to go right, right. out. I mean, could he smother him? Could he, could he, you know, could we haven't, that's the thing we have, we've never seen anyone really try it against Wilder because they probably get knocked out before they even get close enough to attempt it. Um, well, that's, a, that's one of the things about Fury. He's so, and even Wilder said it, you know, in the in one of the press conferences for this rematch. So he's like, well, I, I wouldn't count it. I wouldn't say he won't try this because he's crazy. And like <laughs> that is really a advantage for, for Tyson Fury in that he own he there's almost no scenario that I can't can talk myself into him, you know, giving a go at. And then he, on top of that. He usually figures out a way to make it work better than than I would imagine it it would, uh, you know, before it happens. So he's he's really uh he's 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 confounding. He's really hard to 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 figure out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you know you know only he knows the, you know what what calculus he 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 picked up uh, in the twelve rounds he spent with Deontay. You know, um, it it seemed like you know they they had him on a strict game plan of moving and boxing. Um, and no mixing it up, you know, they're, they're talking about maybe mixing it up a little more in this one. I mean, what, what I thought was bizarre was that, you know, um, he, you know, he, he, in, in the fights before he fought Deontay, especially before he, you know, kind of went away on his hiatus, you know, he would fight lefty quite often. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, the Klitschko fight and the Chisora fight before that, um, he went lefty quite a bit and he he did it a little bit against Wilder, but not nearly as much as I, I thought we'd see it. So that, that's like another part of his arsenal that, 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 you know, could, could come into play, uh, against Wilder. But, um, but, you know, turning, turning to Deontay and, and it's funny, I remember talking, uh, you know, Bryn Jonathan Butler spent some time with, uh, mm-hmm. Deontay in his training camp before the first fight and was just actually, uh really surprised at how bad Deontay looked in sparring, you know, but he's just one of those guys who, you know, technically he's not going to look great apparently in training camp and sparring, you know, uh, I think he especially said uh, Ivan Ditchko, who's like really talented heavyweight who unfortunately is like buried with a, with a bad promoter he's not getting along with. But uh, apparently he was, you know, kind of, you know, putting it on Deontay pretty good. Um, But what what are you expecting from Deontay in this fight? I mean, we saw um, a very patient Deontay Wilder against Luis Ortiz, who never mm-hmm. seemed to get too flustered, even as the rounds, you know, kept kind of piling up, and you know, for for Ortiz, um, you know, he's he's preached that he's going to be a lot more patient this time around. Uh, you know, what what kind of uh, a fight do you think uh, Deontay is going to come with? Yeah, I mean, he was so in the the Ortiz fight last year, I. I don't know if I buy the idea that he was that was his game plan all along was to to lose six rounds and then <laughs> and I mean yes he wants to end the fight with one punch but to to just give away that much of a fight uh it it, it speaks to his confidence but it's just it, it, and and yeah he did not look to be panicking but um 
I, there were moments, as, you know, I mean, right before, well, famous last words, right? Right before he knocked Ortiz out, uh, Ortiz was having some success. Right. Um, but um, I, I, he would be. I do think. I do think that he has. He he has a good opportunity against Fury here to, um, to you know, to not be as snake charmed from the the opening bell as you know because he's seen the guy for twelve rounds already, and and I think a lot of what Fury does has done effectively against you know more frankly more dangerous punchers like like Klitschko and Wilder when he when he fought them and I mean I thought he beat both um and has a lot of what he's done effectively is just sort of convinced them to to well I mean Fury was winging crazy punches but he uh I mean Wilder was winging crazy punches at him um he gets them to to you know to like they they don't know what they're dealing with um and because he's so awkward and kind of like slippery and and in and out and he's got the and he's you know he's fainting and keeping him at bay keeping him at distance with his jab um i think that you know wilder has seen 12 rounds of that and and one of the secrets would be just if he he could be a little bit more judicious but also you know keep letting those hands go because that's the I feel like the the worst thing he or anyone else could do against Fury is let 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 all of Fury's stuff convince him not to be aggressive, not to fight his fight, um, because then, you know, then then he's just going to have fewer opportunities to land the shot that he needs. Um now, does that mean throwing, you know, some of the the wilder, well, wild, no pun intended, but the wilder <laughs> punches we saw, uh, you know, two December's ago? Maybe not, but still, um, I I feel I I, I Wilder seems pretty. He seems confident, like he's just going to come in and be Deontay Wilder, and and I think that's good for him. Right. Right. You know, it, it, it's funny um, for for whatever reasons you were talking about this. Um, I couldn't help but think of a, a fight we just saw this past weekend and a guy who was very similar just in that he's he's virtually a one-handed fighter at this point in time but he's got just a massive bazooka in that hand <laughs> and and like you know once he starts throwing it like it just freezes other fighters they they don't even right. want to come to him and that's Rigo yep. right I mean Rigo you know I mean you know and and I liked what you you were mentioning uh you know Polly talking about it and Polly just like, you know, he's on some sort of, you know, trigonometry. He's like, I don't even think I understand it. He's like, but the one thing he gets guys to do is just not throw punches. They don't want to throw punches because, you know, they know what's coming back at them. And it's that, that massive left hand, um, you know, with, with Wilder, you know, obviously he's not operating on the level of Rico, right. <laughs> but it's kind of the same concept. It's like, you know, guys know, that you know, it that one shot. It, it, if he lands it, you know, you're going down. I mean, he he just has that kind of a power. He's just got that kind of power. Um, as far as you know, how how Deontay can can best use that against Fury. Um, the one thing he seemed to catch Fury in, he he kind of figured out what Fury was doing, and when Fury dipped down, he was kind of waiting mm-hmm. on that. And he was, uh, you know, coming with a like a really weird kind of looping, you know, a shorter looping right hand. 
Right. And, and and that's kind of what, you know, got Fury on both the knockdowns. Although the, the, knife, first, yeah. the first one yeah. was clearly behind the head. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, well, you know, but Fury, I mean, Fury was ducking down. I mean, it's sort of not, I, I don't know if I blame Wilder for hitting him behind the head on that one. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, when you're, when you're ducking down like that, yeah. I mean, it's, that's, and, and it was like borderline. It was borderline, yeah. you know, like behind the ear, behind the head. Right. It was like on the crown. Right, 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 right. I mean, it was definitely behind because you saw the swelling after the fight. I mean, yeah. It was definitely like behind the head, behind it, but it was real borderline, uh, you know, rabbit punch. But, but, uh, you know, so Deontay definitely, uh, you know, obviously, you know, studies and 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 kind of figures guys out as as the rounds go by. So um, it's really going to be it's not going to be a high speed chess match. It's going to be a pretty slow speed chess match. Yeah, but it's going to be a real chess match in there as to what you know. I mean, you know, Tyson knows that that, that Wilder's got that power, but at the same time, you know, Tyson Fury is just so hard to hit, and you know, it's just so bizarre in there you know it's it's he's really hard to get a handle on so should be an absolutely great fight having said all that Rafe what's your pick um I I have a really hard time counting out uh Tyson Fury just because he he does have this mystique where he I I I have this confidence in him that he will figure out some way to get the better of whoever he's fighting almost in any situation, even when it makes no sense. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I think it would be irresponsible in this, in this case, given the sort of upheaval in terms of Fury's, uh, you know, late, not last minute, but late change of trainers, um, the extra weight he's going to bring into the ring, the sort of, uh, I, I maybe maybe it's to disguise a, another game plan, but I don't buy the idea that he's going to come in and and knock Wilder out with a right hand in the second round. Um, there's just too much weird stuff going on that that I feel like it would be um, I don't know irresponsible or like uh, without any to to just take that all on face value that it's all planned that way. And um, look, that Tyson Fury makes a. You know, he makes a, he's probably made his life uh, off of uh, or his life in boxing off of proving people wrong when when he says outlandish stuff and people are like, you can't do that. But I just can't I can't bring myself to go there with him on this one. It just doesn't it doesn't add up for me. So I, I think that, um, you know, I'm going to go with the, the, the fighter who I know I know what he's going to be in there in this in this case. And that's Deontay Wilder. I think that he does catch him and and figured you know manages to stop him at some point in that fight yeah it seems like all the momentum is 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 going Deontay's way you know like uh you know you know continuing on from the 12th round of that first fight I mean Deontay had a great year last year I mean save for giving away the first half of the Ortiz fight I mean he had like two highlight reel knockouts that certainly didn't cause him to lose uh any confidence and you know I mean they put Fury in super soft in his his first fight and and then uh, the Otto Valin fight was much tougher, I think, than anyone expected for him. You know, you know, mostly caused by the cut, but Valin also, you know, had his had his moments in that fight, um, for sure. So, you know, as you say, you know, it just, you know, it, it's weird with Tyson because his his mental makeup, you feel like he can come apart at any point in time, but he also just mm-hmm. has this this just, you know, almost Ali like confidence where right. you, you feel like he just has that self belief that he he will not be beaten, you know. Um, he's the gypsy king, you know, he's, he's, he's going to, to, to conquer all. So, 
Um, it's you know I, I'm I'm still I, I just really have a tough time uh, picking a winner in this one. But yeah, I, I I do tend to to agree with you. Signs and momentum tend to be pointing to, towards Wilder. Uh, you know, getting a finish this time, maybe sometime in the middle to late round. So, but it will be interesting. So, other fights coming up. Um, you know, your boy uh, Ryan Garcia. Um, yes, sir. Yeah, man. Um, you know, he's got he's got you know a, a middle of the road type of opponent. You know, typical type guy who uh, who you feed to an, an up and coming prospect, a guy who's smaller, um, who's you know fought for a title at a lower weight class, but you know wasn't particularly successful. Um, and Fonseca, um, how do you see that one going? I mean, I think Fonseca has has shown that he's tough, but you know, not super skilled, you know, so far. So, right, how do you see it going? Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a good fight for Garcia at this point in his career. Who you know, even though he does his hand speed, his, his the the power, he's a fast starter. All of that is apparent, and it sort of jumps off the screen or if you're watching it you know it's very you can't miss it when you see him fight um but you also you know he's he just hasn't fought too many good fighters yet he's super young and uh i think it's a good fight for this point this this point in his career is this the first time has fonseca fought at 135 before this um or is this is he moving up for garcia you know, I, I, I'd, I'd have to look that up on BoxRec, to be yeah. honest with you. But I, I, I know certainly I at, the world class, at the world-class level, unless you want to consider Tank Davis right. coming in overweight as a lightweight fight. <laughs> um, uh, I, I don't – yeah, he hasn't It's mostly at 130. Yeah, it's been yeah pretty much all at 130. Um, so I think that must be the that, – that is golden boy. You know, that's the matchmaking theory behind this is that even if Fonseca is very tough – and you know fights a fights a, uh, you know fights well uh tomorrow night that he's still going to be s- smaller and garcia will you know won't 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 be uh, a huge threat to knock ryan garcia out or win like that and in and then uh, if that doesn't happen i don't see how he wins but look he's he he fought i i that was he made one of the more fun fights against tevin farmer uh, of farmers um you know 130 pound title run was was that way you know he kept the pressure on and and made farmer work and and made you know made farmer show some offense in ways that he didn't always have to i guess the the john o'carroll fight was a little like that but i i enjoyed the fonseca one more um but and and so there's a good chance that he comes in and tries to pressure garcia and that that plays right into you know ryan's hands and you know garcia catches him with something with 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 a great combination and looks like a million bucks doing it. And if not that, then, you know, he has a longer, more developmental learning experience on his hands, but I don't, I don't, I don't smell an upset in that fight. Right. Right. I mean, I, I guess the only way that that gets interesting is if, you know, Garcia tries a little too hard to get him out early and, and put on a show and gases a little bit. And, you know, Fonseca being a very tough guy, you know, weathers that storm and, and, and puts the pressure on it, you know, asks some questions of Ryan Garcia um, but you know, to my mind with Garcia, you know, if you're, you're putting him in with a guy like Fonseca and then you're putting Jorge Linares on the undercard against, you know, which I, you know, I, I'm still in, in, in amazement that they've got him on the, that, that Ryan Garcia is, is headlining above Jorge Linares. 
Um, but yeah, L- Linares on the undercard, and, and they're thinking about, you know, Oscar's talking about putting Ryan in with Tank, you know, Davis, or obviously they wouldn't put Linares on the same card if they're not thinking about matching him. Um, I don't know. To me, it's just a, such a mixed message. I mean, Fa- you know, Fonseca is, you know, really isn't in the league at all with, you know, Davis and, and Linares. You know, I mean, Davis was fooling around and overweight and still stopped Fonseca, you know. I mean, it wasn't like a super competitive fight that I remember. Um, no. You know, uh, it's 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 a pretty huge leap for Ryan Garcia against either of those guys. I mean, do you think Golden Boy's serious about uh, matching Garcia against uh, Linares or Tank Davis, like in his next fight or, or later in the year? I didn't take the the Tank Davis stuff too seriously. It just seemed like that, you know, Ryan was fighting this week. Oscar was in public. Right. And, you know, we weren't that far removed from from Gervonta's last fight. Um, or and, and plus he was in the, you know, he's sort of in the news. Well, he's in the news for really bad reasons with uh, with uh, him roughing up and, and being arrested for for battery of, uh, I guess, his his uh, the mother of his child in, in Miami. But so I think I, I got the impression that was kind of just piggybacking on headlines and making some some noise for Garcia. Not that they wouldn't want to do that at some point in time, but it just seems uh, has. Has 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 Golden Boy? Uh, I mean, Golden Boy makes fights with top rank and and Matchroom and you know cro- crossed his own. But I don't have. How often do they make fights with PBC? It seems like they're still that is the one uh, bad blood for for Oscar. You know, um, stretching back to Richard Schaefer at Golden Boy and and taking the entire stable with them to PBC. <laughs> that that is sort of a hard one to cross. Um, so I I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no. I, um, and also, I, I, Oscar likes to talk. Oscar, of course, always can't avoid uh, resist sort of comparing himself to Floyd, and Gervonta is Floyd's fighter. So there, it's, there's always. I, I feel like there are just too many other uh, sort of uh, conflating variables in in that mix to to believe that they're going for that. I I wouldn't. It does sound like they are interested in pursuing. You know Ryan Garcia against uh, Jorge Linares at some point in time, which to me, yeah, that's really. I mean, it's ambitious. It's really dangerous because if you misjudge that, if if Linares has more than you think he does, or if Garcia just isn't ready for that level, then yeah, he's he's losing that fight for sure. Because right. uh, if Linares comes in good, Linares is, has been. I mean, he's just. So, so good when he's good. Right. Uh, I, I I guess you're counting on Garcia as a fast starter to have a decent chance of catching him with something early, and you see the Linares sort of uh, routine of of falling apart in a hurry. Uh, right. and, you know when things start to go downhill. But if that doesn't happen, you're in for a really really um, you know you're you're gonna learn a lot of things about Ryan Garcia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. To me, like you know, I I really think that it's 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 a quantum leap for for Ryan Garcia, um, you know, to go from a Fonseca to to either a Tank Davis or, or Jorge Linares. So I mean, maybe with their they're they're kind of kicking the tires on Linares by putting him in there with Carlos Morales, who gave uh, Garcia all kinds of trouble when they yeah. fought. Um, but uh, I mean, I don't know. Like you know, like I like I I guess I said to Doug, you know, Fisher last last podcast, you know, with Linares. 
and Garcia, you know, I guess I, I you can't complain that you want to see the best fight the best and then say that, they, you know, Golden Boy is doing, you know, rushing him too fast because it's a really good fight if it happens, you know, because you, you don't know, you know, you know it's it's, it's going to ask all kinds of questions of Ryan Garcia. But I don't know, with my manager's hat on, I'd be like, mm, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd want to see Ryan develop, you know, maybe, you know, at least another couple of fights before uh, I'd, I'd even think about a Linares or, or Tank Davis. But uh, yeah, it just seems like a two year year. It's such a it's such a risk. It's it's your if yeah. It's just if if Linares ends up being, uh, you know, uh, more like the version of himself who fought, uh, you know, Luke Campbell and and Lomachenko, then all of a sudden, you know, Ryan Garcia ain't winning that fight. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and and that's you know he's a potential gravy trade. You know, so I mean, do you really want to? Uh, to, to rush him too fast. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, that's boxing, man. You know, you gotta, you gotta, uh, and I, we don't know what Ryan Garcia, how he responds to a loss either. I mean, right. not to say that, I, I mean, I don't know, you know, he may be extremely resilient mentally in that way, but you don't know how a fighter is going to react. And Garcia clearly, um, you know, is, uh, he's, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's got that, uh, I don't know. He's just full of himself in a way that I, I would question. I, I don't know if I w- would expect him to to bounce back off of, from a loss uh, like it was nothing. Right, right, right. Well, especially if it's a like a you know and you know a really bad loss can really change a fighter's career. Right. So yeah, know, that's why you 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 especially with a potential gold mine like Ryan Garcia, you know, you exercise all due caution <laughs> in matching those guys. So so it'll be interesting to see what, what happens with Golden Boy, if they're just bluffing or or they really are gonna take some really challenging fights for him this year. Now on on the uh on the undercard is uh you know a guy who is right up uh you know State of Combat's kind of uh alley, Mr. Blair the Flair Cobbs. So you know he's taking on Samuel Cote, a thirty six year old Ghanaian, <laughs> you know, who uh who uh, you know hasn't exactly had a stellar record, but you know his 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 boxing record on the surface, I think he's like twenty six and two or something, uh, looks pretty good. What do you think of Blair? And, and just you know, uh, when you have someone with that kind of special personality, but but maybe not you know top tier skills, like you know what you know if you're Golden Boy, what do you do with a Blair Cobbs? I. I- I think that I, I I like what they're doing with him, which is being pretty careful, right? Very careful, right. not really exposing him to uh, particularly dangerous opponents, and even against the guys they they find for him, he's getting he's had some woolly moments, you know. Right. The what was the Steve was it Villa Lobos so they brought down from Portland who who almost knocked him out in that fight, right. and then obviously he was down earlier in the la, in his in his fight on the Canelo undercard. Um, he you know he. He's he, as much fun as Blair Cobbs is, and as as amazing as his story is, he it does not really inspire confidence as a as somebody who's going to be around for the long haul. I think if, if the the best uh, the best sort of outcome I can I can think of for him is if you could if they can figure out a way to turn him into an attraction who. Doesn't matter if he wins or loses, right? I mean, because right. eventually he's gonna he's he's gonna lose either against if he steps up too far in competition or if he uh, or 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 just against somebody who who catches him and he can't and he can't pull off one of these recoveries. Um, but he's still so 
fun as a personality and he makes fun fights right i mean he he's he's getting knocked down bounces up like a pogo stick comes back <laughs> to knock guys out um he's you know he's very athletic doesn't have the appears to not have the sturdiest chin um often fights in this you know gets really into the idea of himself as a back foot you know, moving around the ring fighter until he gets knocked down and then st- then has to get back up and get himself back into the fight. He's all over the place. It's fun. <laughs> uh, and, he, you know, he's, he's, he's got the, his crazy mop of red hair. It's uh, – it's it, if they can fi- – I guess – I don't know. What, what do you think he needs to do to reach that point where it just turns into win or lose, you know, Blair Cobbs is on? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really you know. I mean, he's unfortunately he's in like a division that's really loaded, you know. And yeah, he's a welterweight, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that doesn't do him any favors. But I guess you know the the kind of positive thing about that is beyond like the top five or six fighters, um, it gets a little thin at welterweight. But but even with that said, you know you know can he beat like a Jamal James type? I mean, I don't know. He, I mean, he's kind of early in his career, but he's also like already thirty years old, right? So, right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think you kind of take him and make. I mean, you know, maybe a, a, a poor man's like Arturo Gatti kind of thing, where where you're making yeah. him interesting, really entertaining fights, um, but not necessarily, you know, putting him in with the top tier guys. Um, or, or even worrying about, you know, fighting for a world title or, or maybe, yeah, you, you take him up and, you know, maybe you, you, if he keeps winning, yeah, maybe he does, you know, you, you, you get him a, a shot at a title or something, but, um, I don't know. I, if he hadn't lost those two fights in a row, I always thought like, was it, what's his name? Nico Macius. That, that, oh yeah, the rooster. Oh, the don't, rooster. don't, 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 don't do that to me. Don't bring that back. Oh my God. Yes, you are absolutely right. That would be the dream freak show match for Golden Boy if they could if they could somehow get Nico Macias, the rooster, back on track and have him and Blair Cobbs go at it. And it just it would be so bizarre. I, I I miss Nico in general. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, and especially too, like Blair Cobbs is is like perfect for their Thursday night fights. You know, like he's like yeah. the perfect like. You know, Tuesday night fight, Friday night fight type fighter. You know, I mean, you, you, he's kind of second tier guy. Um, you know, he's not going to be an elite fighter, but you do want you, you got to see him. You know, you, you got to see him fight. Um, and I think he's great on their their big undercards too. Whether right. I mean, I don't really consider this week one of them, but on you know, as the opener on Canelo cards, or I mean, that's really their only big fighter. But still, <laughs> why not? I as long as Blair Cobbs is is viable, uh, I would put him on every Canelo undercard, and I don't care who he's fighting, because whoever's in the arena is going to get a kick out of him. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I think yeah, you 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 put him in there with guys who are like me, you know, not maybe that there aren't a lot of guys like Macius. He is he's definitely in his own <laughs> category, a, one of a kind. Yes, yeah. but you know, guys who who come to him and 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 make for great fights. I think you know that's you know that that that's that's where Blair is is, is going to make his name just as a super entertaining fighter, um, you know, super entertaining personality, um, you know, I mean. 
you know, when, when you've got a guy who's kind of tier two, I mean, you can get him to, to, to big fights. I mean, I've gotten a couple tier two guys, title sure. fights. I mean, you have to be very careful in your matchmaking with them. Um, and you also have to engage the sanctioning bodies in almost all of their, uh, you know, second tier titles. I see he's already got the NABF welterweight title. That's that's the way to go. He's he's had that for a minute, right? Did he win that in the Caribbean fight? I don't, I'm not even yes, sure. Yes, yes. I don't know. Boxrec has it as the junior welterweight title, but it was clearly contested at welterweight. So I think he's got the welterweight yeah. title. But the, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you know, you you maybe by attrition he he moves up in the ratings and you know, um, you know, keeps fighting kind of <laughs> tier two type guys and and you know. It doesn't seem like it matters who he fights. It's always an exciting fight. Um, so, uh, so, so, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's kind of how I would go. I would go tier two and, uh, and, and and just try and by attrition get him up the ratings, and you know, hopefully he he wins a couple of Macy's fights and uh, you know type fights and uh, do them like that. Okay, so now there's there's a really uh, interesting fight this weekend. Um, you know, we get to see Caleb Plant again uh, performing and, and and defending his title against uh, German Vincent Feigenboots. So Boots, Bootsy, or, or as you call him, was it Vinny Boots? <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking Vinny Butts. Like if you just called him Vinny Butts, like people would Vinny get butts. behind that. People, oh man, you're fighting Vinny Butts. Oh, uh, Vinny Butts. Um, because I, I also, I feel... I feel bad for the guy because I, I've listened to a, a half half a dozen podcasts this week where where people were like, I can't say this guy's name. It's not that. It's pretty phonetically simple. It's just Feigen. It's a weird name for a boxer, but it's pretty easy to to read. Feigenbutts. It's not like I mean, we just had King Tug. I can't say King Tug's first name. It, it has like four consonants in a row in in the back half of that. Um, <laughs> so I, I I consider Feigenbutts a a welcome reprieve. <laughs> it's interesting uh you know you uh in 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 your article today from from the the uh athletic you consulted uh an expert on german boxing who like you know he's basically saying this guy's not even like the fifth best uh he's like or he is the fifth best super middleweight in uh in uh germany have you got a chance to see any of uh feigenboots's fights or yeah i went back and watched uh, a few of them um, he doesn't look as bad as that. However, his record really does raise an eyebrow when you think about, I mean, there's not, there isn't really a shortage of fringe contenders or, or whatever you want to call them, like top 20 or 30 ish fighters in Germany at, at super middleweight. You've still got, I mean, Jürgen Bremer is still probably, uh, is, is amazingly still pretty good at, at 41 years old. Um, and then beneath him, there are guys like there's Tyron Zuge who, you know, lost to Rocky Fielding and, yes. uh, Robin Rocky Krasnicki Fielding. is still, you know, Robin Krasnicki is still, <laughs> um, kind of bouncing around down there and Feigenbutz has not fought any of them. Right. And even yeah, this is the, so Feigenbutz looked good in his last fight against Cesar Nunez, the Spaniard who was undefeated when they fought. Uh, you know, knocked him out and say it was the eighth or ninth round. And the, he's, he's he 
He's got a nice. He looks very European, right? He's he's a bit stiff. Uh, throws a good one-two. Uh, <laughs> it arrives fast. He's got a decent right hand. Um, and then when the guy is hurt, he'll he'll open up a little more and and show a decent uppercut and some other some other combinations. But he his his feet look really heavy. Uh, it doesn't look like he's gonna. I, I don't anticipate him having a very easy time with a fighter as elusive as Caleb Plant has looked so far in his career. Um, and then even even say that Nunez win, uh, you start to look into it, and in his next fight, Nunez fought Edgar Berlanga in, at the Garden and got knocked out in two re- two minutes, not two rounds, two minutes. Um, <laughs> and it's just sort of like, whoa. If, if Feigenbutz, I mean, maybe Feigenbutz ruined him, but it didn't seem like that. He softened him up, right? He softened him up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um uh, and the, you know, I spoke to Matt, you know, he, he, on Twitter, he, his name is Matthew, but his name is Matthias, a uh, guy who writes for Boxing, uh, a, a German language site. And he was telling, you know, he kind of clued me into some of the, if you're just looking on Feigenbutz's box rec, it, they'll, you'll see, oh, you know, TKO, that must have been a good win. When you watch the fight, say against the South African guy, uh, Rhino, uh, Liebenberg, um, and Liebenberg's just breaking him down, taking it to Feigenbutz in this fight. He gets a straight – I mean it was caused by a punch, so you give credit to Feigenbutz that. But he gets a – Liebenberg gets a cut in the middle of his forehead that isn't – it's bleeding, but it's not really going into his eyes that much. And as soon as he has Feigenbutz in a little bit of trouble, lands a, cut, lands a good uppercut and, and, fire, and Feigenbutz sort of retreats to the ropes – the ref jumps in and waves it off. You're like, oh, the cut is too bad. Um, <laughs> so there's some really suspicious uh, results there. And, of course, the the um, his you know, 2015 Feigenbutz stepped up to fight the Italian guy Giovanni de Carolis and won a decision. But eh, it was one of those decisions that was like it was a classic Felix Sturm decision in Germany <laughs> is what it was. Uh, and then they they had an immediate rematch three months later, and De, De Carolas knocked him out. So he's he's got a pretty thin record for for a guy who looks good on paper. You know, who's you say, wow, thirty one wins, twenty eight knockouts. Um, and yeah, he he he's got some heavy hands, but I, it's just hard to see him really. I mean the the you know Matt Matthias who I spoke to. He corrected me. I was like, I was like, well, at least it's got to be a step up from Mike Lee. And he's like, no, it's not. It's really not. So I, I wow. hope I hope he's exaggerating. But that's how low uh, one local writer's opinion is of this guy. Wow, that is saying something. That is saying something. That is that he's not even a step up from Mike Lee. I mean, I I think he's a bit of a step up from Mike Lee only off of those uh, the the Carolus fights. I mean, I watched uh, right. Both of them. Uh, I think if you stand right in front of him, it's it's you know he's a kid who who will keep coming and he's tough and you know obviously very strong. Um, but even in the uh, uh, the fight with uh, his his last fight against Nunez, I mean Nunez couldn't miss him with a jab. Uh, yeah, and and marked him up pretty easy and and uh, you know uh, you know until Nunez kind of tired a little bit and you know. Feigenbutz was, was was hitting him with some with some heavy shots that he kind of folded, but yeah, you would think yeah, Caleb Plant is just kind of light years ahead of this guy, so it would be a, a real shocker, I think, if if Plant lost his his title. But um, 
Yeah, I don't know. What do you think of Caleb Plant? I mean, just like going forward, let's 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 you know make the uh, the dangerous assumption that he's going to get through this fight pretty easily. Um, where do you see him going from here? I mean, there's a lot of people calling for uh, for the unification fight with uh, Benavides. Um, you know, do you think that's wise for PBC? And if it happens, how do you see it going? Well, look, I would love to see that fight. I think that it'd just be really, I would be really excited to see that. Like, I think they're both really good. I don't think it'll happen though. If they're, they're, they're both, they're both young plan is 27. Benavidez is what? 22, 23. Um, it just, uh, well, as much as I would like to see them make that fight, I feel like they're going to milk that out for a little while. And also it's one of those things that in this case, I even, I even understand why they would, because why, why cash that fight out now before either guy has really made a name for himself outside of hardcore fans, not just like boxing, but you know, it's, it's always asking a lot to, to, to say, Oh, we're going to wait until this fighter becomes a transcendent all sports superstar. Like that's never going to happen for most fighters or almost every fighter. But these guys are, are really only known to people like us who, who, who watch every fight. Um, and I guess I mean Plant has been on Fox a couple times. Obviously, the Mike Lee fight. Uh, what, what, what was that before the Manny and Thurman uh, pay per view started? Anyway, it was one of those paper. It was like a Fox pre pay per view uh, free fight. So he's had some decent exposure, but still, they've got a long way to go to turn these guys into um, stars. And I just I don't think we're going to see it right away. Uh, it would be great if we did. Plant, I, I also think they probably he probably wants to have some some more get tested a little bit before he goes in there with Benavidez. I mean, Plant seems like a confident guy and he's got good skills, so I, I'm sure he, he he would go he would fight whoever uh, and and believe that he's going in there with a, a good chance to win. But he's another he's another fighter who just doesn't. He's got a very thin resume. For he looks great in the ring, but. You you do want to see if his style holds up against guys who who are a little bit more effective at applying that pressure. I mean, I I, I like Jose Uscategui, but I don't I'm not I I don't know if that's enough to make me believe that that Caleb Plant is uh you know the the cream of uh, super middleweight right now. Right, right, yeah. I mean, it's I guess you know the 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 flip side to that is you know do you think Caleb Plant and Benavides are are strong enough talents that you know if they don't fight each other that they they'll be able to like you know breeze through whoever whoever they're fighting and, and, and trying to build a big fight and you know if they fight you know more guys like Feigenboots I mean are people even going to care <laughs> you know I mean you know is yeah. it, does it you know is is it really going to build them that the, the, you know to, and give them that much more exposure and make the fight that much bigger if 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 they marinate it. Um, I think PBC is maybe a little antsy at this point, looking at the marination that they attempted in junior middleweight and just seeing these guys get bumped <laughs> off fight after fight. It's kind of like, you know, we got two undefeated guys. There's some interest in it. You know, these guys are talking it up. You know, maybe we have Benavides, you know, uh, make one more defense. But um, yeah, I mean, just in amongst yeah. the PBC guys, and you'd assume that they're they're going to be fighting PBC guys. I mean... You know, maybe you know Durrell is 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 like a real good test for 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 Plant. I mean, you know, he's 
Uh, he gave Benavides, you know, even though he got all cut up, you know, he gave him a pretty good test before uh, Benavides put him out. Um, but but beyond that, I mean, I don't know, Caleb Truax. I mean, I don't know. Are there are there any fights that are even interesting and in, in, in try to build these? Yeah, guys? no, it's it's rough because then you know asking for marination is sort of also volunteering. Uh, poor souls like like Alfredo Angulo and Kid Chocolate right. up for for really rough nights in the ring and to to help build Caleb Plant and David Benavides into into bigger names. Which I don't know if I want to see that either. Also, I mean, one way to look at it, I, I don't, I, might be. Although I, I well, you got to figure that if anyone gets their name, you know, get, gets 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 called out for the Canelo sweepstakes there. There, that's a good thing for for that fighter and and whoever is handling that fighter. Um, and if they went into a plant Benavidez fight quickly uh, and had a unified champion, that would probably give that fighter a mandate. You know, there would be a lot of buzz and and demand for that for Canelo to fight that 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 guy next. Right. Not like in May, but later this year or early next year. You know, it would be one of the next. It would be whenever the next Canelo fight is up after you get a a unified champion between Plant and Benavidez. That guy would be who they're looking at for Canelo to fight. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 such a conundrum with these you know silos and 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 and, and different uh, you know networks. Right. Uh, Would they know. work with each other? But no. yeah, yeah. I mean, you see, Aram and 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 Hearn have worked together a little bit, um, and it doesn't seem like Hearn is you know unwilling to work with uh, with PBC. But like you said, with Canelo and Golden Boy, that one seems like you know. That's that's you know uh, they haven't really mended fences that well yet you know so that one might they be although but Canelo you have to Canelo seems like the one fighter in the sport who if it you know once it becomes known that Canelo wants you as his next opponent who it seems like all I mean no it never happens this way but. Everything should fall into line from there because of all the money that that everyone makes from fighting Canelo. Right. Um, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't always happen that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, to me, uh, and and I think I you said this on uh, the State of Combat uh, podcast that like Benavides would be, um, or, or I mean, I don't know. To me, Ben, or maybe it was BC who said it that Benavides, like Benavides Canelo, I think would be just like. An awesome, awesome fight. I mean, yeah. I think that I, I like the Benavidez fight. Uh, Brian liked the, the the Caleb Plant fight. Ah, yeah. Well, I'm going with you on that one, Rafe. I think. Uh, I, Thank I, you. I, At least somebody got the score right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think I think Benavidez uh, Canelo would be like a huge, you know, Cinco de Mayo or Mexican Independence Day fight. That would be uh, that would be an event. I think people really look forward to that one. So, but. But, you know, uh, but we have uh, Caleb Plant and uh, Vincent uh, Feigenboots to look forward to uh, in, in Nashville. So uh, so we'll see. You know, we'll see if, if Plant, you know, in, in these type of fights that are, for the most part, showcase fights. I mean, these are the ones where you have to look really sharp and you have to, you know, put on a show. So we'll see if, if, if Plant can live up to that. I mean, I think 12 boring rounds of him, you know, running around and, and not getting hit by Feigenboots would, would, would not... Uh, serve him that well probably not i mean one thing i mean plant appears to be a guy who you know takes his career seriously he's always in great shape he's always looked sharp he's you know he's not 
always the most exciting fighter, right? Because he's, you know, he's he's he's, he, he's a slick defensive fighter and he counterpunches. He's not necessarily a, a, a knockout artist, but right, he's more he's, of a back foot uh, fighter. I've never, yeah. right? I've never seen him look bad. Right, right. Um, I yeah. guess. Do you? I, wh- wh- what's the ceiling on Caleb Plant for you? Do you? Do you believe? Uh, yeah. Do you believe that he could be the 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 best of the bunch at uh, say super middleweight, or is it? Uh, or, or do you think that when he starts to fight really really good fighters, uh, other than Jose Uzcategui, maybe you know the same way we saw Tevin Farmer, who had kind of a weak championship run and he didn't really fight like himself against jojo diaz but it's hard I, I it's hard to attribute that to was it you know a, a bad strategy from farmer was he weight trained did did jojo just slow him down and, and was too accurate or whatever but basically i mean could at some point caleb plant re basically know, get exposed by when when he fights somebody who's really top of the division yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those kind of, you know, wait and see kind of things. I mean, my initial just, you know, I don't know, my, my feeling on plan, I was not that impressed with him. I mean, maybe it was just because of the limited opposition he was in with. Um, and I was very surprised against the Uskategi. Um mm-hmm. But, you know, it just seems, you know, I, I don't know that he's an elite talent. Um, I don't know that David Benavides is an elite talent. And I thought right. Callum Smith was an elite talent. And then John Ryder almost beat him. <laughs> <laughs> and John Ryder, you know, I don't know. I mean, Rocky Fielding beat John Ryder. So you're, you're kind of like, wow, you know, um, I don't know that we have a Superman. We have some good fighters and we have some good young fighters who, who've shown some talent. But, you know, all of them, you know, set you know, save for maybe Callum Smith because he went through the uh, World Boxing Super Series, although he definitely went through a uh, a much easier bracket than George Groves did because he didn't have to face uh, Eubank Jr. Um, and he faced, uh, you know, uh, George Groves coming off an injury. So, right. yeah, I mean, I, I think with the, all of these guys at the top of 168, there's a lot to prove, you know, and, and I, I think um, it's, you know, it, it's kind of like what I used to say about my, my guy Sam Solomon – um, Sam was capable of beating anybody in the world, but he was also capable of getting beat by a lot of people because he <laughs> he he just had he you know his fights tended to be close and he, you know he just didn't have that 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 one you know dominant uh, feature that 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 he could overwhelm people with and I, I you know I mean Benavides seems to have that but I really thought that Darrell you know before getting cut I thought Darrell skill wise was showing some things against uh Benavides. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, I just don't see any supermen at 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 68. I think all these guys have talent, but you know, I don't think any of them are elite and they're all beatable, but they're also capable, you know, of 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 beating each other. So <laughs> it's right. it's really, you know, it it's kind of, you know, who's going to be better on that night? Um but you know, do I think any of them beat Canelo? No. I don't think any of them beat Canelo. At, at right now, yeah, it doesn't doesn't seem that way right now. Uh, you you brought up Sam Solomon, Kurt. I have to ask you about the famous, uh, amazing photograph uh, at the weigh in with him and Jermaine Taylor, <laughs> the crazy eyes. What what was going on? 
Ah, uh, yeah, boy, bring up the Jermaine Taylor fight. Oh, I'm my sorry. God. Yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> I mean, this could get really, really ugly, but uh, hopefully, we'll keep it light. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, let's. Uh, I guess let's keep it light. Yeah, I mean, Jermaine. You know, we we obviously didn't know what we were going to get with Jermaine. I mean, that that whole fight, that whole scenario. Um, you know, it was. You know, he was obviously coming off that injury to. Uh, Abraham and and he'd gone through like a battery of tests and you know I'd spoken to uh, to Dan Raphael and Dan Raphael was like yeah in his last fight he looked as good as he's looked so so you know we you know are willing to take the Jermaine Taylor fight because we got offered a shit ton of money for it um, and uh, and he shows up you know and he, and all honesty he he really didn't say much. You know, that, 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 I mean, he wasn't very vocal. You know, there wasn't a lot of antipathy between the two guys. There wasn't a lot of heat. Um, but yeah, at that way, and yeah, you just, you, there was that look in Jermaine's eyes. You're just like, holy Yo. shit. <laughs> this guy, you know, like, yeah. what is going on? <laughs> you know, like, he looks fucking crazy. He looks fucking crazy. <laughs> And you know, uh, you know, just Sam was just cursed, man. I mean, that, that that was just like one of those things. I mean, people don't talk about it, you know, about you know when they talk about gritty performances. But he tore both his ACL and MCL in in that cool. six in the sixth round of that fight when he got spun down, and he fought mm-hmm. like six and a half rounds with a torn ACL and MCL. So, um, and you know, people tend to forget also that Jermaine actually won that fight. <laughs> <laughs> which 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 was horrible but yeah i mean jermaine in all honesty that that whole that whole you know thing he kept to himself he didn't really say much um but yeah when he showed up with those eyes and that that picture you're just like Yo. oh my god he looks yeah gone. it's uh it is yeah that was it was haunting um but also in the uh in the macabre humor annals of boxing uh uh unforgettable <laughs> absolutely 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 so yeah man yeah man my man sam unfortunately uh you know i I love him to death but uh, i've heard he's like taking another fight somewhere in like poland or something he's like 46 years old and uh you know i'm i'm not in favor of that um my dear friend uh david stanley who i I co-manage sam with is also not in favor of that but Sam just keeps uh, keeps on trucking, man. He just he he loves to fight, so so he's back at it. Um, but I guess uh, I, I think he's fighting at middleweight. I don't know, super middleweight, but but yeah, I mean, he's not going to be fighting Caleb Plants or <laughs> any of these guys anytime <laughs> oh, soon. Let's hope. <laughs> might be fighting Vincent Feigenbutz at That's some right. point in time. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. That seems to be uh, the type of uh, opponent that uh, Feigenbutz uh, seems to prefer. But So, um, hey man, like a uh, couple more fights I wanted to talk to you about, just ones that are kind of, uh, one that just got made and one that uh, appear, uh, seem, hopefully it'll get made. Just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, Daniel Dubois and, and Joe Joyce, um, which... which Frank Warren is, is is not afraid to put Daniel Dubois in there with, uh, you know, I mean, he's yeah. he's definitely not marinating anything over there. I mean, he had him in there no. with, uh, was it Gorman? With Gorman. Yeah. 
yeah. in a fight that I'm, I'm surprised Gorman took, but uh, I guess they thought they could beat Dubois and and now Joe Joyce. I guess Joe Joyce, you know, sees the log jam that's that, that that's at the top of the division and knows he's got to do something special. So, uh, what do you think of that fight? Hey, I, it's it's obviously risky for for both fighters, but what's not to love about it? I, and, and it's something that. I, I've come to appreciate about, um, you know, UK boxing is that they will, they have these great, and it's weird, this doesn't quite profile the same way because Joyce is such an old prospect because, so he's not really a prospect, but he's not really a or true contender yet, but still he's, he's early in his pro career and, you know, he's, he, it's a dangerous fight, but it reminds me of those, um, you know, Saunders, you you know, Billy Joe Saunders, Chris Eubank Jr., um, DeGale Groves, uh, those kind of they're not afraid to put two of their very best uh, against each other very early in their careers. And it's really it, the, the stakes are could not be higher when they do it. Um, so it's I, I can't wait. I And I, I, I mean, here I feel like the the boxing crowd in the States is extremely negative about Joe Joyce and I get it. You, you see him. It doesn't look right necessarily. It looks, it's pretty awkward. He is, uh, you know, he's, he's, he moves real slow. His punches are wide. He gets hit a lot, but he's got one hell of a motor on him and he appears to have a fantastic case of, you know, Homer Simpson disease, right? He takes a good punch. <laughs> um, so it, now Dubois seems like he might just be another level of puncher who, who, uh, you know, when, when those wide punches come can, can tag Joyce right in the middle and, and see, you know, test that chin in a brand new way. But still, if it turns out that, Joe Joyce is just this mutant who can keep coming forward and throwing these crazy punches. He's heavy handed and he can put on some effective pressure and he's not, it's going to be, I, I'm ex- I think it's really interesting. I, I do favor Dubois, but I, I think that the default position on this side of the pond has been, Oh, Dubois is going to knock this fool out. It's about time. Right. But, um, I don't think it's going to, I, I, I don't expect it to necessarily be that easy. <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, this reminds me of those old HBO Night of the Young Heavyweights type fights. I mean, it, it right. really is like a, it's a great matchup. It really is a great matchup. And yeah, I mean, Joe Joyce, 34 years old, got to, you know, they're moving him really quick. Um, but then, you know, the flip side of the coin, you got Dubois, who's only 22 years old. They're moving him really quick too. Um, yeah, you know, I I actually love Joe Joyce. I mean, if for no other reason than his nickname is tied to that. Do you remember that old YouTube like kind of cartoon thing? You know, I'm the Juggernaut bitch. You ever see that? That's right. Yes, that is yes, his nickname. Yeah, and and I, I knew I'm that like, he was the Juggernaut, but I did not know that uh, it was because of that that <laughs> that YouTube joke. The old GI Joe. Yeah. I'm the Juggernaut bitch. I'm the Juggernaut bitch. <laughs> You think this is oh, Laffy man. Taffy? Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't think. Uh, I, I, you know, I, we're messing with my head. <laughs> <laughs> I I wasn't sure if the two were like linked, and then I, I saw him post it on on Twitter. I'm like, oh shit, this guy's now my new favorite heavyweight. I love this guy. I love this guy. 
So, uh, so yeah, man. And did you know he's also a painter? Get out of here. Get out. Yeah, yeah, look it up. There's the, the BBC has done stories on it. He he's actually a pretty talented artist. <laughs> he's got it all, Rafe. He's got it all. Yeah, I he mean, does. He does capoeira after his fights. <laughs> I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's the bohemian, you know, artsy, you know, juggernaut of a heavyweight. I mean, the guy, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, listen, I mean, say what you want about him, but it, they have not matched him light at all, you know? And mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was a guy who got to the finals of the Olympics and lost real close, you know? Um, so he's mm-hmm. really, you know, I mean, you can say he's slow and he's this and he's that, but, you know, dude has talent. And I mean, you know, he didn't have much trouble with, uh, you know, Brian Jennings. He beat him pretty decisively. And Jennings, I felt, was a top 20 heavyweight. Um, yeah. And I mean, he definitely had an easier time with uh, Kaladze than uh, than uh, than my man uh, Ajagba did. <laughs> then, then, yeah, than Ajagba. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think maybe people are underestimating him a little bit. And what's funny, too, yeah. is um, with Daniel Dubois... I mean, my impression of him when I first saw him was he's slow as hell too. Like he's not exactly right. you know uh, Ali in there with with with, with a blazing no. hand speed or Meldrick Taylor, you know, at heavyweight. I mean, he's he's you know he, you know I, I, my impression was yeah. I mean, he's a little slow of foot, and you know his hands aren't exactly blazing either. So I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, I, I think this one is is, is definitely a, a much tougher fight than 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 what people are, are giving it credit for. I mean. You do kind of have to favor Dubois maybe a little bit just because of age and and uh, maybe his resume is a little bit. You know, I mean, he's he's been in there with Gorman and 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 they haven't been afraid well, of matching no, but tough. Joyce has the better resume as of now, right? I mean, right? Yeah, I would Jennings. Jennings over Gorman for sure. Yeah, um, I mean, like Gorman could. Uh, is that even? I mean, Gorman is was viewed as a decent prospect at the time has he i don't know i don't know if he's fought since losing last year to dubois but that's still i mean you could probably call that about equal to joe joyce beating lenroy thomas (laughs) it's true like a domestic level heavyweight right yeah 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 and and joyce you know definitely a more accomplished uh amateur uh than dubois as well um yeah, man. I mean, am I am I willing to call the upset on this one and and, and pick Joyce over Dubois? Uh, I don't know. I think it's a much tougher fight to call than 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 what most uh, than what most think it is. And and you know, I, I gotta say, I, I know who I'm rooting for. I'm I'm, I'm rooting for the Juggernaut, man. I, I I gotta go with with the Juggernaut all the way on this one. So. Um, well, I'm glad we're 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 here representing the the Joe Joyce fan club. Here. <laughs> You know, if if you can't, you know, have a little bit of fandom in you, then you know you 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 lose your love for the sport. So, but yeah, I mean, I, that that's just a great matchup. I really can't wait for that fight. That's you know, obviously the winner of that one uh, becomes a, a player um, at the at the world class level. Um, even though both guys, I think, what combined they have twenty four fights or something. But uh, well, yeah, but I mean, how many? I mean. You know, I mean, what uh, Joshua fought, you know, fought for a title against Charles Martin after 15, 16, something like that, 18 fights. I don't even think it was that many. I think it was about, was it maybe 15? Yeah, yeah, maybe you're okay. right. Maybe you're right. I was thinking 14, but maybe that's too little. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I'd have to see. But, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think with Dubois, you know, to me, I, I hate when guys get rushed too much. Um, so, you know, I'd like to see them, you know, season them a little more and not just, you know, throw them right in there with a Joshua or, or one of the top guys after, should he get past Joyce? But, uh, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I mean, it's, that's a really exciting fight. And yeah, if, if, uh, you know, I think there's, there's big fights out there for, you know, for obviously for either guy, if either guy wins that fight. I'm trying to figure. Now you got me. Like, how many fights did Joshua have when he fought Martin? I'm looking at. I'm looking it up. Don't <laughs> worry. Uh, where's my guy here? Charles Martin. Martin. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just saw an interview where Martin Lawrence claimed to have been a boxer. Do you know if that's true or not? I, I did not know that. Uh, <laughs> okay, Joshua had 15 fights. Joshua had 15 okay. fights. So, so yeah, I mean, this, this is uh, Dubois' 15th fight. So, you know, we'll see if, uh, if they have him on the uh, Anthony Joshua uh, calendar. We'll see. We'll see. So, interesting fight. And uh, the other fight I wanted to ask you about um, was one that still hasn't gotten made yet. Um, I don't know. There's some sort of money holdup. Both guys want a little more out of the zone. But uh, Regis Progre and Maurice Hooker. Uh, how do you see that one going? Uh, I, look, I I really like Regis Progre, and I think that he will. I I, I expect Hook, I, I expect him to beat Hooker. I, I th- Maurice Hooker is good, but uh, not not that good. You know, he he. <laughs> He, get, I mean, he was not like he got knocked down by Saucedo before he won that fight. Which oh, look, he came back and won that fight, so he deserves credit for that. But he just, uh, I think, he was given credit as for being a better boxer ne- than necessarily, you know, like having uh, greater skills than necessarily he does because you know he looks the part. He's long. He's he's got a nice jab. He throws a great. He, I, I mean, I love his 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 right hand, but. Um, he's not, I, I don't, I don't see him on the same level as the, as the Josh Taylor's, the Regis Progres or the Jose Ramirez's obviously since Jose Ramirez already won that fight. But <laughs> I think, I think Progre wins. I think, I, I think he, he knocks him out, you know, not necessarily easy or quick. It'll be, it'll be, there'll be some action, but, uh, Progres, I just think is better. Yeah, I think I think Progre has better hand speed maybe than anyone who Hooker's fought, and mm-hmm. obviously we know Regis you know can can punch as well, um, and and Hooker does you know he's he sits kind of straight up. He's not the hardest guy to hit, so um, yeah, I would think uh, Regis would tr- would chop him down. Um, I you know what I would like to see, and I mean you know I kind of know Regis Progre's people, so I don't know, and I don't want to tell him what to do, but. What I, what I would like to see, I mean, I think Regis, I, I don't really necessarily want to see him fight uh, Josh Taylor again. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a grinder. It was a really close fight, but I think that's a really tough fight for him. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing him if, if he wins this fight. And I wonder what weight this fight is going to be at. Are they really going to fight at 140? It seems like both guys are kind of itching to get up to 47. I wonder if it's going to be at a catch weight. But... Um, I would actually like to see, uh, you know, if Progray wins this, I'd love to see him be in the uh, Crawford sweepstakes. I mean, yeah, look, I mean, he sh- he should be in that already, regardless, right? right. Um, 
Uh, he's just, you know, in turn, especially since uh, Top Rank doesn't have a whole lot of great options for Terrence Crawford. I mean, if they if they could if they could snatch Regis Progray away from of a potential Maurice Hooker fight and just go straight into that, that would be a, 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 a I would look forward to that more than than Pro Gray Hooker, even though it would be I understand why Hooker wouldn't do it. It's it's very it's you know, to go in to to be looking at the the real possibility of having two straight losses is not something he want anybody wants to do. Um but that would be the most I look, I wouldn't count him out in that fight either. Um he's uh, I, I, do you are you is there is there any worry that uh, that whatever politicking is going on uh, freezes that 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 program gets frozen out along with uh, Ludabella? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I mean, I I heard Lou go on. Uh, was it the Boxing Voice or, or one of those? Uh, or maybe it was IFL TV, and they were asking him. They're like, uh, you know, does does Regis have? You know, Regis only has one more fight left with you, right? And Lou got very contentious about that. But um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know what the situation is. You know, I don't know what contractual obligations uh, Regis has to 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 Lou. I don't know if there's one fight, if there's two fights left, but um, you know. I, I don't know that uh, that Regis is going to be frozen out either way. I think um, I, I think you he's know, too valuable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 you know he's obviously top rank would love to have him um, because not just Crawford, but they've also got Ramirez and Taylor now. So I mean he fits like mm-hmm. right into that, and that, that seems to make the most sense. But you know, on on the other side of the coin, you know, I mean, obviously, DAZN still has like the biggest bank, and uh, and Regis mm-hmm. isn't, you know, he's not a kid. I think he's what is he, 30, 31 years old. No, he's old? yeah, he's older than he looks. Yeah, or older than for someone who's fairly new on the scene, uh, or at least in terms of you know fighting big fights, he's uh, he's he's older than you'd expect. Right, right. So I mean, now's the time. <laughs> you know, I mean, mm-hmm. he got he got paid well in the World Boxing Super Series, but not you know not the zone kind of money. Um, you know, right. like well, free agent the zone kind of money. So uh, right, right, right. Um, not Mikey Garcia money. Yeah, not Mikey Garcia money. And to me, listen, that's a great fight too. I'd, yeah. I'd love to see Mikey Garcia and Progray, whatever weight they'd want to put it at. I think that'd be a great fight. Um, you know, is that like a high on Mikey Garcia's, you know, list of choices? Probably not, because it's a really tough fight. And, you know, what does Progray bring to the table? Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting choice. I mean, I, 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 you know, it seems like top rank would be the place to go because there's big fights for him there. There's like a couple of big fights for him there. Um but uh, but listen, I mean, it, you know, I don't know what he's again. I don't know, you know, what he's got left with the Bella. If it's one fight, if it's a couple fights, um, you know, some people seem to be pretty sure it was one fight. So obviously, a big fight with Hooker on on the zone for a lot of money, you know, would would probably satisfy both Regis and Lou if they're going to part ways. Um, but uh, but you know, if he were indeed a, a free agent after that, uh, you know, obviously uh, he's going to get a lot of money thrown at him. Uh, but yeah, I would really like to see him, uh, you know, if, if, if Spence is not going to fight Crawford this year, I wouldn't mind seeing, uh, if Progray can get past Hooker, I'd love to see Crawford and, and Progray go at it. Yeah. I mean, and Progray has talked about it before, you know, he said that, you know, they've, the two of them have talked about it amongst each other. So hopefully look, I would love to see that happen. 
Absolutely. I guess the only caveat to that is, I mean, you know, Progre is 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 would be running up a, a Carl Frotch type uh, of uh, right. a list of opponents in a row. You know, I mean, going through the World Boxing Super Series, then taking on Hooker, then taking on Crawford. I mean, that's that's super ambitious. You know, that's that's a tough schedule. Um, but you know, obviously, if you're getting paid a, a ton of money and you want to be great, which uh, Regis does, uh, you know, you take those type of fights. But uh, but we'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens. But uh, hey, Rafe, I really and I don't want to keep you here all night, man. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, really enjoy uh, you know your work uh, at the Athletic and on uh, State of Combat, and you know, and say hey to BC for me, and thanks for uh, shouting me out, and uh, really appreciate your time, man. Absolutely, I apologize to the listeners of uh, of the Boxing Esquire podcast for the first hour of, uh, <laughs> of basketball, but um, you know, I'm sure Kurt will. Uh, w- well, dude, will have you have such much a great more. story on, on on that side of the ledger, man. You know, I mean, hey, I, I appreciate you it. You don't Thank get to you. tell it. I, often, I, so. I love that stuff. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I mean, I'm I that those are. Uh, great. You know, I, I love all that those parts of my life, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to talk about them. Cool, cool. All right, my man. Take care. I really appreciate you coming on. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Kurt. Hi, right, brother. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It In The Ring Network. I'd like to thank Rafe Bartholomew for taking the time out to speak with me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, if you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audioboom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. Really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. And also, do not forget to check out my companion piece to this podcast on ringtv.com. It features quotes and background on my interview with Rafe. Uh, and until next time, so long, everybody. Did you get what you was looking for?